This summer, Coors Light wants you to retire, even if it's only temporary. Take a break from your nine to five for nine holes of golf. Trade those spreadsheets for a bingo card. Or swap your office chair for a water aerobics floaty. This summer, welcome to temporary retirement. Coors Light, made to chill. Copyright 2023, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Big show today, big guest. Kirk Herbstreet will be with us. Uh, you've seen him on ESPN's College Game Day. Amazon NFL Thursday Night Football, former Ohio State player, now has the broadcast world by the tail. Herb Street will be with us on today's show. Also, we'll get a visit from Bill Riley in Salt Lake City. Oregon heading to Utah, Oregon State heading to Tucson. Bill Riley, the voice of Utah Athletics, will be joining us in the 4 o'clock hour to talk about that. We'll give our picks on today's show. We will get you locked in for the weekend when it comes to sports. And we'll try to do what, what sports is supposed to do on, on today's show. Sports is supposed to do what? It's supposed to uh, create a diversion. It's supposed to uh, you know, give you an escape from all that other stuff. And sometimes, i got to be honest, sometimes in the last 14 months or so, the world of sports, is particularly the Pac-12 stuff, has uh, felt a little bit too much like the real world. You know what I mean? Not the real world like MTV with Puck. I'm talking like more like the headaches of your job, a bad boss, death, taxes, a little bit of mourning and some lawyers involved. I mean, it's just not been the escape that it should be. I, I, I like sorting through it but not as much as I like talking about the games that are being played and telling the stories of the athletes and the coaches and, frankly, having that conversation with you one-on-one. Kirk Herbstreit will be along in this segment to talk about college football and broadcasting. He'll be with us in just a couple minutes, uh, joining us from Salt Lake City. He was in Buffalo last night. He'll be in Salt Lake City all the way through the college game day broadcast on Saturday morning, and then he will take off for the... uh, Southern California uh, footprint, and uh, he will call the UCLA-Colorado game on Fox. Uh, and uh, then who knows where. Uh, we'll find out from Kirk Herbstreet coming up. I'm excited about this interview. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think, uh, you know, I've got a bunch of questions, of course, that are top of mind. Uh, you know that I never... Uh, you know, I never uh, agree to conditions with interviews. Uh, people have asked me, you know, is anything off limits? Nothing's off limits. We haven't communicated about anything being off limits. We're gonna we're gonna talk about it all with Kirk Herb Street right off the top of the show today. And when you know, when game day comes to town, obviously there's a halo effect of excitement and enthusiasm that comes with that broadcast that arrives alongside it. And if you are a college football fan, you know that the minute your Saturday is over or maybe you start to look into the horizon by one week, the minute all of that is over, you literally will pivot and people will go. I I remember last Saturday, people were immediately, after the Utah-USC game, people were immediately wondering, would ESPN's College Game Day be in Salt Lake City? 
And, you know, of course, the rumors and the murmurs started. And, and you know, look, I'm not one of these people that hangs out at 6 o'clock in the morning, waiting in the rain, waiting for, you know, the game day and all that, because I've got to be at the stadium all day, all night. But I see you, and I talk to you, and I watch that broadcast, and I get the enthusiasm and the excitement and the additive value that it brings to a college football uh, Saturday. So without further ado, fresh off his Thursday night football game in Buffalo, jumping on a plane to Salt Lake City, then he'll be on to Southern California where he'll call the UCLA-Colorado game. Kirk Herbstreet is joining us. I got to know, like, you know, from a from a travel standpoint, how does that feel to you, go from Buffalo to Salt Lake to L.A.? <laughs> oh, man, it was a tough one. I, I flew right after the game, so I got a couple hours of sleep, and then I had an 8 a.m. Uh, production meeting for college game day and then uh, Reese and I taped a few segments and then I got back to the hotel and just been locking in on you know the three-hour game day show is one that takes for me a lot of preparation so I've been doing that and did a call with Chip Kelly and and UCLA uh, this afternoon and their coordinators and then I'll do game day and then head to LA and then fly back home to Cincinnati so it's it's all just kind of a whirlwind, man. It's it's like you're on a treadmill at 15 miles an hour, and you get off on January 9th. It's just uh, nonstop. I saw you at Husky Stadium walking your dog before the game. Does the dog yeah. make the trip? Does the dog go with you? Yeah, I. That's like my best friend. He is legitimately my guy. It's the first time I've ever taken him. I told my wife um, we have four sons and only one that's still at the house, and I just said, I oh, mean, I. I want to take Ben this week, and she said, you know, check. you should just check with the hotels, and just so happened that uh, all of the hotels that we were staying at that week were, were uh, pet friendly, so I, uh, I was able to bring him, and he, uh, man, what a difference. When you're traveling as much as I am, to be able to have him with me in the hotel rooms and just, and with, just with you was great, and then, I, you know, I'm down on the field. I I was going to bring him out there just to kind of see how he would be, you know, he's very friendly and chill. And I didn't realize he would, he would just kind of be as calm as he was out there because yeah. I tried to bring him out the game day to meet dubs. And he, he was kind of spooked by the crowd. It was really, really loud. And, uh, he was shaken on the set. So they took him back inside, uh, for game day. But when I brought him out for the game, he was seemed to be doing just fine, but he was a blast. I'm going to try to bring him out again next week. Yeah, I saw him. I saw you guys. You strolled right by me, and I saw him, and I thought, gosh, it looks like he does this every week. Like, I had no idea that was the yeah, first time he'd been on a field. He, he looked like a veteran. He, he did. He looked pretty good, uh, like he's been there his whole life. So hopefully hopefully next week, wherever. I think we're in Tuscaloosa, maybe, wherever we go uh, next week. I'm hoping to go out to L.A. again next week for the Huskies and, and the Trojans. We'll see. I remember years ago, you know, your kids were little and you were covering maybe a yeah. Rose Bowl that Oregon was in and those kids are all grown yeah. up now? Yeah. Yeah. Um I think oh nine might have been oh nine. Um Ohio State was in a Rose Bowl. I, I can't remember if it was Ohio State and and Oregon. Oregon's been in so many over the years, going back to the chip era. But yeah, I, I would take them every year. But where, where I grew up in the Midwest the, the the Rose Bowl in our family, my dad played at Ohio State and was a captain, so I grew up at a very young age. No matter who was in the Rose Bowl, it was like just an iconic moment in our household. And, my, and then Ohio State was in it when I was 8 or 9 or 10 or 11. Forget about it. But it didn't even matter. 
really who was in the game. It was like, best way I always describe it is like you have black and white TV living in the, the Midwest when it gets cold and dark at 4 o'clock, and you turn on the Rose Bowl at 5.20 p.m. or whatever it is, and bang, it's like you go from black and white TV to high def. Mm. And so to be able to call the Rose Bowl all these years, I just always brought my family out. It didn't matter who was in it. I just brought them and brainwashed them to respect and love the tradition of what the Rose Bowl is all about. And so, yeah, I would bring them every year. They'd play backyard football on the field, you know, post-game every year. Uh, that's how they grew up. You know, that, that was always every single year. That was like a trip that we always took. And now they're my identical twins are 22. I have a 20 year old and a 17 year old. So blink of an eye. Crazy. Uh, they're, they're out of the house. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I I have three daughters, and I have often brought them to games, and they travel, and I yeah. go. You get to go. You get to go to some cool places, and yeah. But you know, you have to do that. I think, and especially with your travel schedule, going yeah. from thir- You know, how Thursday. Your, how old are your daughters? My, I, I've got a seven-year-old, a nine-year-old, and a twenty-one-year-old. So you know, oh, I have okay. the I have the whole okay. gamut, and so I realize how fast it goes. I realize how fast yeah. it goes. You know, and so I think I'm a better dad with the younger ones. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I. I think you just kind of learn as you go. There's, you know, there's, I guess there are handbooks. I never, I never took the time to do that. I just kind of followed my parental instincts and did the best that I could. And I, there's no question, you know, I, like my last one, he, my older boys see how I am with him and they're like, dad, what are you doing? I mean, it's like, basically like, where's that hammer you used to have with us? You know, right. I'm just so, so lenient on the last one. He's, like, he's the baby of the house. So. It's a different different set of rules for him. You mentioned Ohio State, and it's interesting, given your family history and your dad, that you know you got there, and you had to wait a while, right? You don't you don't yeah. really play until that senior year. And I'm thinking yeah. about the portal now and everything. Do you, you probably would have stayed at Ohio State given the family history, but do you ever think about that? Like what young Kurt Herbstreit would have done with the portal and NIL? Yeah, I, I think it's why I've always tried to be open, very open-minded about it, just because my experience, um, it was really challenging. I mean, I was a five-star guy and supposed to be walking there as a freshman and win the job, and, and I, I struggled. You know, I was an option guy. I would love today's game, you know, with being a dual-threat guy, but back then it was more playing from the pocket, seven-step drop, and it took me a few years to just kind of get my bearings. and all along, you know, you'd go back home and it's like, man, why aren't you playing? It was humiliating and difficult and you're 19 and 20. And I think the easy thing to do is just be like, I'm out of here, you know? And for me, my dad, he wasn't necessarily an iron fist, like, no, 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 you're committed. You're going to do it. But it was a different generation. And he was like, you know, you you owe it to yourself to, to follow through on this and keep battling. And, you know, so he was constantly trying to like prop me back up. And as it turned out, I played some my junior year, and then I was a captain my senior year, and you know, I, I did a, I did fine. But I, I think what I learned through that uh, adversity really helped shape me as a person, and um, really affected me in, in a very positive way. It wasn't fun to go through. I guess it's like having a, a professor, maybe in college, that you just hated going through that class. But when you got through it you become a 25 or 35 year old and you look back at that professor and you're like, wow, I'm so glad I went through that because it changed me in a very positive way, even though I couldn't stand what I had to do to get through it. And that, that was really my experience as a, as a college athlete. And so now as doing this job that I've done for 28 years, 
I feel like I relate to everybody on the roster, you know, whether it's the guy that's down at the bottom of the food chain or the guy that's the captain and the star of the team. I, I feel like I can understand um, a lot of what these guys uh, cope with, even though it's a very different time in, in 2023. But um, it helped me. It helped me as a person and how I treat people and, and um, you know, as, as a parent or as a husband or just as a friend. So um, it sucked, but it, it definitely helped mold me for sure. You're getting Oregon and Utah, at least for the game day experience. And as a rivalry, how underrated nationally do you think that rivalry is? In the last five years, these teams have just been right there with each other every season. I I think in general, when you ask that what you're asking me, I think in general the Pac-12 in that region is incredibly underrated, you know, whether – you know, you, if you take um, your average fan from the SEC or the Big Ten or the Big 12 and you ask them about Oregon, if I asked a Alabama fan, what do you think of Oregon? They, they would know Bo Nix. They might know Dan Lanning, and that's about where it would end. And, and with Utah, I think it's even worse. And so we could debate and talk about why that is. I happen, I've always tried to promote the Pac-12. I enjoy the conference. I always have. I think um, the conference in general, uh, the athleticism, especially the quarterback play over the years and skill, very underrated and underappreciated. But to answer your specific question about the rivalry, I would say it's incredibly underrated. Nobody, I think, east of the Rockies uh, understands, first of all, that Utah is still a brand that somehow goes underneath the radar. You know, it's back-to-back Rose Bowls, back-to-back Pac-12 championships, and, you know, I, I think at least on our show, we try to promote Kyle and what he's done. And, you know, the, the fact that Cam Rising was supposed to be back, hopefully by the UCLA game, conference play starts. And, and he's not, still not back. Now he's going to redshirt, hopefully come back next year. And, I mean, it's an incredible story. You move a safety over to, 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 to be a running back and a Wildcat quarterback. And somehow, some way, that brand just keeps going. And, um, you know, I think they're scoring about 23 points a game. And yet, I don't know what it is. I, I, I have no idea. They have players in the NFL. Uh, just a game I did last night. Dalton Kincaid was all over the place. So it's just a brand that, for whatever reason, does not resonate. Oregon, of course, the Chip, going back to the Chip Kelly era, the uniforms, the glitz, the glamour, even though Chip would hate that, that was what kind of sold on a national level. And that's why I think they, that brand resonates a little bit more. And they've had some big, high-profile uh, games. And I think that's also helped them over the years. And um, so I'm a fan, but I, I don't think that the nation understands, um, you know, the, the magnitude of what that game has become. Yeah, and the physicality of those two teams is different than maybe right. a decade ago. And I think maybe it'll be nice, it'll be good for people, I think, to see that. What do you make of this this final Pac-12 season? I am I grew up in the Pac-12 footprint, so I'm turning the page real slow and kind of savoring it like it's yeah. Game of Thrones final season. But from your standpoint, what do you see? I'm with you. I Again, I'm, I'm a bit of a traditionalist myself, so I've, I've always loved these different conferences. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to not be that guy that's going to dig in and say, you know, this is not fair. What are we doing? I'm, I'm trying very hard to be, again, open-minded towards realignment. Um, I don't have to always agree with it, but I do need to move on. 
And I do need to, to realize that UCLA and USC and Washington and Oregon are going to be in the Big Ten. It's going to be, you know, maybe five years from now it would be normal. But right now, I think a lot of us who grew up, you know, in our generation, it's like what the hell is happening to us, right. you know? And the rest of the conference being fragmented, what's left, you know, with Oregon State and Washington State, it's as a guy that just loves the sport and loves the, the game on a national level, I, I think it sucks. I think it's awful. But I'm, I am going to try to embrace it and, and move forward with, uh, with our new world that we're all getting ready to, to get used to starting next year. You're in that TV world, so I realize that, you know, this question probably comes right down the alley at you. But what role do you think television plays in the downfall of the conference and realignment and, you know, and maybe what happens next? Does football splinter away? What You know, what's a healthy place for television to be versus maybe what's too heavy-handed? Well, I, I guess it's all about money at this point. It feels like it. I mean, I'm not in the negotiation rooms or anything like that. I just get on a plane and fly from Buffalo to wherever they tell me, you know, wherever I, next week I'm going. So I'm not I'm not privy to a lot of that information. Actually, you probably, uh, I know you, you do a lot of research and talk with folks about that, but anybody would realize that, uh, that, that what Fox uh, has done with the, the Pac-12 and what ESPN has done, you know, all over the conferences, it's it's pretty obvious that uh, the conference commissioners coming out of, of COVID were interested in trying to make deals that would help uh, strengthen their conferences, and and it became, it sounds like, you know, a bidding war. Um, and I don't know if it's even done at this point. So um, 2024, I think, is where everything will be finalized and, Everything will be moving in a direction that we can all try to start to figure out. I mean, think about all of this, you know, with the portal, uh, with NIL, with the realignment, with playoff going from 4 to 12. It, it's, it's like this perfect storm. And um, those of us that, that again, are, are traditionalists and love our rivalries and love certain matchups and love the Rose Bowl and, and things like that, man, it is, it is really a, a challenging time. Um, and yeah, I, I'm not going to sit here and deny that, you know, that, that the networks, uh, weren't involved. I mean, it seems like to me they were, but, uh, to what degree and should we blame it all on them? I, I don't, I don't, uh, really get involved in that part of it. I don't know if that's all on them, but, um, it's definitely about money now. I mean, we've been around for a long time as conferences and the fact that it's now changing here in these last four or five years and, um, you know, it's, it, it becomes pretty clear it's going to be an, another tier. It's going to be, I don't know what it's going to be called. I have no idea where we're headed. I don't know if they're going to break away from the NCAA, create their own world and their own governing body and their own sets of rules and partner with a quote-unquote players, you know, association where you have some representatives, former players, current players that uh, have some kind of representation that, can negotiate things like NIL and, and all the rest of the things that need to be negotiated. Eventually, the network money, I'm sure, is going to be negotiated with the players. That's probably the next massive hurdle that's on the horizon. So, um, you know, I, I think we all should still have our seatbelt on. I think it's still a long way to go until all this kind of settles. But, again, the one thing that does not let us down is going to Husky Stadium and watching Oregon play Washington and watching Michael Penix walk off the field 
in tears because of what that moment in his life meant to him after everything he'd been through in Bloomington and the injuries to have that moment, like the game still delivers, you know, like you tune into these games and I call these NFL games and I enjoy it. It's the highest level of the sport, the greatest players in the world. And I really enjoy working with Al Michaels and it's surreal, you know, to do that. But man, tomorrow, you know, here in Salt Lake City, when I fly over, sold out Rose Bowl with Colorado. I mean, it, watching other games, you know, throughout the day, the, the sport continues to deliver despite everything that's going on around it. Um, Saturdays are still still a special day for me anyway. I, I got to imagine your conversation with Chip Kelly is about 50% football and 50% whatever visionary Chip Kelly yeah. wants to talk about because he, he came on with yeah. us and he talks about his sleep and why he doesn't have his phone in his room at night. You know, uh, yeah. I, I just think it's interesting. You get to talk with a lot of coaches. I mean, he's yeah. really different, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's one of those guys – Reminds me a little bit of Steve Spurrier. You know, when we, we would go in to talk with Coach Spurrier, and it was like, you could pretty much talk about anything you want to talk about, except, okay, Coach, you know, what do you think of third down, or what do you think of the red zone? Or The more specific you got, the more, you know, he'd start scratching his arm, or, you know, you know he'd, he'd grab onto his watch, or, you know, get a little fidgety. Uh, a lot of these coaches actually can get that way, you know, if, if, they're, you know, they're getting to that point where it's almost kicked by the time we talk to them and, you know, they've worked on their, their game plan and they've studied so much film that, you know, their, their foot is kind of moving up and down at a million miles an hour when you're, you're talking to them. But then if you break off and you just start talking about, hey, I'm going to be getting in and, you know, I, is there anywhere you recommend I can grab a sandwich? I mean, they'll, they'll talk about that for, <laughs> for 10 minutes, you know, or, or you talk – um, you know, big picture type of stuff. Hey, can you believe what's going on at Michigan? It's crazy. You know, they'll go on for 10 or 15 minutes on something like that. But, uh, yeah, they're, 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 the last thing they typically want to talk about is, is really rolling up their sleeves and, and talking XOs. How, how do you think Oregon and Washington do in the Big Ten? I'm excited to see that. Um, I think Oregon's style of football, I think it what's, what's for most of the Big Ten fans, the, there's a misconception because they still think LaMichael James is playing and, and um, you know, DeAnthony Thomas, and, and they're all speed. You know? And if you really watch Oregon, you do uh, quite a bit, you know. Um, and even Chip, if I, back in that time, if I would talk to him about, you guys are all about speed and, getting the ball in space, he would say, no, 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 no. We want to make this game about the line of scrimmage, and we pride ourselves in our physicality. So I think that part with Oregon, especially with Dan Lanning, because he's that way himself, I think that travels. You know, I, I think that fits into what the, what the Big Ten style of football is. And the Big Ten has changed, as you know, a lot. You know, the Big Ten, when Joe Tiller brought in a spread attack to the Big Ten and everybody else was still in an eye formation, he it was like, what is – what the heck is Joe Tiller out of Wyoming doing in the Big Ten? You know, and Randy Walker brought a similar scheme into Northwestern. It was like, these guys are crazy. This will never work in the Big Ten. And now almost everybody runs some kind of version of that. So the game has really changed. It used to be more uh, biased towards the region. You know, it used to be, depending on where you were, there was a certain brand of football. I feel like now, it's even in the NFL, I feel like it's becoming more and more 
about the game is being played out in space. You know, the quarterbacks are usually dual threat kind of guys, like a Bo Nix. Um, you know, that that's become universal at this point. So I, I think they'll both fit in. I, I'm more, I guess I'm a little more bullish about Oregon because I, I feel like we know more about them and who they are. And with Kalen DeBoer, I feel like it's what we see here these first couple years is incredibly exciting and probably only going to get stronger if he stays there, the longer he stays. Um, but I just feel like we know a little bit more about Oregon. But I think they'll both do really well. The teams you would be concerned about especially would be USC, um, just because of the way they're playing defense pretty consistently in the last couple of years with, with Lincoln Riley. And you know you can't win in the Pac-12 or the Big Ten or any conference if, 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 if at the top level playing defense like that. So they've got to get that figured out obviously in a hurry, even this year. Kirk Herbstreit with us, uh, ESPN's College Game Day. He'll be on the Fox broadcast on Saturday calling UCLA Colorado. Named to the Rose Bowl Hall of Fame class, going into the Hall of Fame. Got to call his 16th Rose Bowl, passing Keith Jackson, most Rose Bowl broadcasts ever. Um, i got to ask you next week, the rankings are coming out, college football playoff rankings, first set of rankings will be out. Um, what do you expect, or what will you be looking for when the rankings come out? Well, I, I think there's always a twist, you know, whatever the AP poll is. I almost feel like whoever is on that committee, you know, and it changes every year by a couple people, I just feel like the one thing that's been consistent is they want to be able to prove to everybody that they're different than the AP poll. So I, don't, I can't predict what that's going to be, but whatever the conventional wisdom is, they like to throw a little curveball to make everybody go, oh, ho, ho, did, <laughs> did you see the rankings last night? Can you believe? Whatever it is, you know, whatever it might be. Um, I don't know. Michigan is – I have Michigan right now at one. I don't vote anywhere. I just kind of put my own four teams out, and I, I currently have them at one. But with everything going on off the field, um, it just feels strange. You know, I, yeah. I, this story seems to evolve every hour. And so, based on what they've done on the field, I, I think they and they haven't played the opponents that the others have. But the one thing they have done is in all three phases they've been dominant. I mean, they have been really, really good. And again, it makes me go, eh, okay, well, they've been dominant because they're good, or if any of these allegations <laughs> right. are true, you know. So who knows? But they do have a veteran quarterback in JJ McCarthy. Most of that team is back from last year. They get a really good back in Blake Corum. Defense is flying around. So they look great. Georgia's right there. I, I really – it's so hard to predict what that that outlier will be or that change that they'll have. But it's a pretty good debate right now with what Washington's done, um, you know, with Florida State, you know, and a couple big wins that they've had. Uh, so, I mean, it's – it feels good this year because it's not, okay, Alabama's in, yeah. Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State, you know, those kind of teams. I, I'm i a guy that likes to see, hey, what about, you know, if Oregon beats Utah, they only have one loss, they get back to the Pac-12 championship game, winner of that game should be in. You know, I, I like new faces. I like new stories. Um, so I have no problem with the, the more the merrier, and I'd love to get out of the same old, same old, uh, that we always seem to have in this sport. 
And meanwhile, Oregon State flies under the radar. Nobody talks about yeah. them, and they're sitting there with one loss. And they beat Oregon last year. They beat Utah already. Um, you know, I think it's going to be a fun race in the next five weeks or so. Um, you'll call the Rose Bowl. I mentioned the Hall of Fame class. How, how, what does that mean to you? To you know, to to call more games than Keith Jackson. I mean, you, that'll be your sixteenth Rose Bowl. Yeah, it's, it's, you you talked earlier about my career, and one thing that uh, I never, as much as I dreamed about playing in the Rose Bowl, I never got a chance to, to play in it. Every year we would come down to Ohio State, Michigan, and whoever won the game went to the Rose Bowl. Back then they didn't have a BCS. And if you lost that game, you would slide down usually to the Citrus Bowl and play an SEC team. Um, and so we would, lo- we would lose those games, and it was ripped my heart out. And then to get into TV, if you think about it, almost every single analyst that's in TV is a guy like Desmond Howard or David Pollack or Troy Aikman or whoever it might be where you think about, you know, they were a Heisman Trophy winner or they were won three Super Bowls or whatever it might be. And for me, I was a solid player in the Big Ten. And so when I got into local radio and then eventually I got to ESPN, I never in a million years ever thought that I would have a chance to to work at ESPN and be on the college game day set. And then I was at, at like 25 or 26 years old. And I was doing a job that I was fully aware of. Instead of being embarrassed, I really looked at it as, as a challenge, you know, cause they, they were looking at me like, who's that guy? And, um, which they should have. And I looked at that as like, okay, I'm going to earn my way here by just being prepared. And that's, that's what I did. That became my quote unquote stick was just be as prepared as I can be. I'm not going to ever have all the answers, but I am going to be prepared, and you're more than welcome to disagree with me. I want you to. That's what makes the sport great. And so that that's kind of how I made my name in the business, sitting next to Lee Corso and Chris Fowler. And I've been on that show now 28 years, and I still look at myself as the same guy, just trying to, like, as when I hang up with you, I'm going to go right back to my board, right back to my preparation. It's just how I do my my weekly uh, ritual and I'll never change that way because I feel like I'm constantly sounds corny, but I'm just constantly trying to prove myself and constantly trying to show that I belong uh, in doing this. And I think it's a bit of a chip on my shoulder because I wasn't the Heisman winner. I wasn't the Super Bowl winner. I'm just kind of like the average guy. And so I I feel like I got to outwork everybody um, to kind of earn my keep. And that's, my brand and that's what I've done. So then I started calling games with Mike Tirico and then Brent Musburger and now with Fowler and Al Michaels and to be able to call my 16th Rose Bowl this year, it's, um, it, it's like, I almost can't even digest that. And then to be able to go into the hall of fame in the same year and they named the, the broadcast uh, booth itself uh, after my family. Um, the whole thing is just like, what the heck is happening here, you know? So beyond <laughs> surreal, beyond thankful and, and, uh, and appreciative for the opportunities I've had for sure. My seven-year-old and nine-year-old are buzzing about Halloween. They've got multiple costumes. <laughs> what did uh, young Kirk Herbstreet? Yeah. What did young what? Kirk Herbstreet dress up as, as Halloween? What do you remember? I was in a full sprint with a pillowcase, uh, to get to as many houses <laughs> as I could. It was, it was more about a, a, a endurance uh, for me. So 
I put, I would start with those, those old plastic masks that yes. you had the rubber band yes. that would go over the back of your head. Yeah. Whatever it was, usually about 30 minutes in, that thing was off and I was sweating and we were running and sprinting from house to house. But yeah, it was usually probably like a Han Solo or a Darth Vader mask of some sort uh, that, we, that I probably had on back then. All right. Hey, I really appreciate you giving us your time. Congratulations on the Hall of Fame, the Rose Bowl Hall of Fame. And, Thank you. And, and I think it's just great for our region, the state of Oregon, Pacific Northwest, to hear you and hear you talk about this. They see you on game day, and I know you got a big Saturday in front of you. I, if I see you or, or the dog another time in the stadium, I'll stop yeah. and say hi to you. But yeah, I really yeah, appreciate do. you joining us and giving us some of your time, Kirk. Yeah, anytime. Uh, big fan of your work, so have, have a great weekend, and uh, please say hello next time I get out west. All right, there he is, Kirk Kerbstreet. You'll see him on ESPN College Game Day on Saturday. He'll be on Saturday afternoon. Later, he'll be on the UCLA Colorado broadcast. Leave it here. we got a big Friday show in front of us. Bill Riley from Salt Lake City. Man, we're all over Salt Lake City today. We'll be on at 4 o'clock. Make an appointment. I thought Kirk Kerbstreet was really good. I thought he was better than I expected him to be. Uh, I let him keep going, let him talk. Uh, I thought he came across very authentic. I learned a lot about him. Uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't know his approach to the games. I thought he handled the questions about television's role in the downfall of the Pac-12 as well as he possibly could have. I think there's a uh, lot of lot of blame to go around. You know where I stand on that leadership failure, leadership at the top of the Pac-12 conference. Couple of failed commissioners, presidents in the Pac-12 that I think were uh, inept, uh, bumbling along, and I think television was greedy. and And I think ultimately everybody did what was best for themselves. But you know, I do think I think he's got a healthy outlook. I like the fact that he's a purist. I'm a purist when it comes to the game of college football. I'm not quite ready to kind of turn the page and go, you know, this is how it's going to be, because I don't think this is how it's going to be. I think the greed isn't going to go away. The The motivation from the teams and the conferences to continue to um, continue to get more and more and more is not going anywhere. And so what I think is going to happen ultimately is I think you're going to have maybe 64 teams at the top of college football that could all be together in in one grouping and i think they will split away but i think for now this is like a five or seven year let's see what happens and then i think there's another whole nother cycle of chaos coming and that's why oregon state and washington state have to absolutely stay relevant have to keep themselves at the top of college football have to continue to fund their programs because it, you know they need to be positioned if if there's going to be another round of chaos it's their only shot to get back into power five conference football is to stay relevant and to continue to fund the programs what did you learn about kirk curb street steven yeah i uh i agree with you the fact that i thought he handled the tv question very well um the fact that he works for espn like i, I was you know i almost expected him to kind of just deflect that question but he even you know he even said like the networks have a big big part of it and it's about the money and and that's kind of what we've been saying the whole time um so i really like that answer i love the fact you know he was talking about the transfer portal I learned. I, I I knew he was you know a highly touted guy. I didn't know he was a five star guy going to Ohio State. Like I didn't know he was that thought of when he was in playing uh, back then in Ohio State. And then you know it didn't really perform as well as he could have. And it's one of those things where he didn't you know start playing until his junior year. So just the difference of how it would be this year. Like he if he played now, 
he probably is gone after his first two seasons. He's looking to transfer somewhere else to play. Like, it, you know, you, you, I, I respect those type of guys that stick through it and they play throughout it. And then, you know, they like he even said, he can he can relate with every single guy on the team, whether it's the last guy on the team who's not on scholarship or that five-star recruit that is, you know, killing it and going to go to the NFL. Like, he, had, he can relate to all those guys. So, I mean, he just comes across so genuine, so good. You know, I love Kirk Herbstreit. So it was, it was a good interview, John. I really enjoyed that. I, yeah, I thought he helped himself. Because I think there's some people right now that want to point a finger at ESPN, and by extension of that, they want to point a finger at Kirk Herbstreet and, you know, to some extent, Chris Fowler, and to some extent, the Fox broadcast teams and everybody on game day. And and really, the faces of the people who are on television are not the faces of the people who are making those decisions. Uh, those Those people are up on the top floor of the building making decisions that impact the teams, the athletes, fans, conferences, it's still not okay with me that the Pac-12 conference is going away. And and I am hopeful that Oregon State and Washington State will not just do a simple, hey, let's merge with the Mountain West Conference in a year or two. I, I think they have to be more thoughtful, more calculated, have a better plan than that, because I think if they just fall back into that, then they have accepted their fate. And I, you know, there's part of me that says, okay, you guys are fighters. Go fight now. Um, you know, the fact that he was running house to house as a kid, Halloween, his schedule, him bringing his dog on the sideline, I thought that was kind of a flex at Husky Stadium. I had no idea that his dog was traveling with him for the first time. He's right. The dog was totally calm and just kind of strolling along on the sideline before the game. But I thought, who brings their dog to the stadium? I always say that to Anna, like we go to Home Depot or we go to we go out to, uh, you know, we're in a restaurant, people bring their dogs in. And I'm not talking about seeing-eye dogs. I'm talking about if you just bring your dog in and, and you're just bringing it with you everywhere you go. I always say, what if we always? What if we all did this? There would be like 40 dogs in the middle of the restaurant, you know, like playing around. But I thought about it at the stadium. I said, hey, there's 58,000 people at Husky Stadium. What if we all brought our dogs? But, you know, I had no idea, you know, he's just strolling along for the first time. That dog made made the trip. Um, so good stuff with Kirk Herbstreit. We'll continue to get big guests on the show. Coming up 4 o'clock, it'll be Bill Riley, ESPN 700. Our big splash is next. I want you to leave it here. Well, Lincoln Riley's feeling better. <laughs> That's a... That's the only uh, conclusion that I can draw. He's now he's now accusing uh, Utah of stealing signs. I think that's the new way to dismiss when you get beat. The NCAA and the FBI now investigating the uh, the intricate plan. Was it intricate? I, I think it was it was highly involved. the The intricate plan by an analyst to scout possible future opponents of the Wolverines and steal their signs allegedly. Uh, but USC head coach Lincoln Riley um, is now pointing a finger at Utah. Fresh off the USC loss to the Utes with a last-second field goal. And uh, Lincoln Riley did not allow his players to speak after the game. He missed a couple practices. He has now emerged to say that Utah does a good job of trying to grab signals. Um, and he says, quote, that kind of stuff has been going on forever. It's worth pointing out that Lincoln Riley's 0-3 against Utah. And I was at one of those meetings. He blew a double-digit league in Salt Lake City in both uh, in the first two meetings. And then, um, you know, now, now his staff's under fire. Everybody's talking about sign-stealing. 
and he's pointing at Utah. You look a little like you can't do that if you're Lincoln Riley. I don't care if you think Utah has got your signs. And I think what he's sort of insinuating is that, that Utah didn't go and videotape him, but they just looked across the field and stole his signs. I think that's what he's saying. Steven, is that what he's saying? Yeah, I mean, that's the way I took it. I took it as they looked across the field and they figured it out. But at the same time, with all the Michigan stuff going on, I feel like there's a little bit of an implication of, like, they knew what the signs looked like. So, like, they they were prepared coming into it. Like, they didn't just decipher it during the game on the spot there. They had some type of, you know, background into what was going on. I, I don't know. It's, it seems like a weird spot for Lincoln Riley to say that in, you know, losing to Utah again, like you said, now he's 0-3, you know, <laughs> missing practices. It just... Weird, weird flex there by uh, Lincoln Riley to do that at this moment. He's going to uh, play against Cal, and um, it, it's one of the games we've talked about. Let's jump to that game if we can, if you don't mind. Like, let's just talk about the games coming up this weekend quickly in the Pac-12. Um, let's let's start with that one. USC is playing Cal. There, that game's at one o'clock. I don't like the way Lincoln Riley has handled the loss. The, the fact that he didn't go to practice, I don't care how sick you are, that looks bad, it's bad optics, that his players didn't talk. Um, Utah's an 11-point favorite. Cal might win that game. Cal's played USC tough over the years, but I'll take Cal in 11 in that game. I agree. I think USC is on upset alert, and you know things seem to be going bad down there in L.A. for USC. This is almost a must-win for Lincoln Riley. If it's not, I mean, I think there's going to be talks of like what whatever's going on here. Like we need to reevaluate some things. So I'm with you. I'm going to take Cal plus the points. I think they have a chance to win outright as well. Your Oregon Utah game. Have you switched at all? Oregon's a six and a half point favorite. I'm still picking Oregon to cover. I think they have too much offense for Utah. I have it 31-23 or something like that. Yeah, I agree. I think I think the Oregon offense is going to be fine against a good Utah defense, but I don't think the Utah offense is going to be able to score much against that Oregon defense. And I think that's the key right there is that the Oregon defense is a lot better than it was a season ago. So, yeah, I think Oregon's going to win and cover this game, win by double digits. Here's what Kirk Herbstreet had to say about the Oregon-Utah game. I mean, it's an incredible story. You move a safety over to, 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 to be a running back and a Wildcat quarterback. And somehow, some way, that brand just keeps going. And, um, you know, I think they're scoring about 23 points a game. And yet, I don't know what it is. I, I, I have no idea. They have players in the NFL. Uh, just a game I did last night. Dalton Kincaid was all over the place. So it's just a brand that, for whatever reason, does not resonate. Oregon, of course, the chip, going back to the Chip Kelly era, the uniforms, the glitz, the glamour, even though Chip would hate that. That was what kind of sold on a national level, and that's why I think they that brand resonates a little bit more. And they've had some big, high-profile uh, games, and I think that's also helped them over the years. And um, so I'm a fan, but I, I don't think that the nation understands, um, you know, the the magnitude of what that game has become. That's why the college game day uh, arrival in Salt Lake City is important. It it helps people understand it. The shame is that uh, you know when's the next time Oregon and Utah are going to play? It, it'll be a playoff game, if anything. Uh, Washington's at Stanford four o'clock on FS1. Huskies are twenty six and a half point favorites. I think they're going to cover that number. I don't. I I think Stanford's going to cover that number. I think Washington wins easy, but uh, you know the Pentagon Pentagon did not look good against Arizona State. No offensive touchdowns against the Sun Devils. They're going to win this game, but I think Stanford stays within the number. 
Colorado at UCLA, 430 on ABC. Herb Street and Fowler will be on that game. UCLA is favored by 17. I think UCLA is going to cover that. 42-21. I think the bye week for Colorado is going to be big for them. They needed a time. They needed a week off. Uh, you know, they played so many emotional close games. I think UCLA wins the game because of the Chase Garber situation. They're, it seems like they're going to go with Garbers over Dante yeah. Moore, but uh, I'm going to take Colorado plus the points. I like UCLA's defense. Uh, Washington State's at Arizona State. Really interesting game. Five o'clock. Pac-12 Networks. Uh, Cougars favored by six. Uh, I'm going to pick them. Twenty-eight twenty. But I think this is going to be a really entertaining game. I think Arizona State gets the win outright. I think this is Kenny Dillingham's, you know, uh, his highlight of the season. They haven't got a Pac-12 game yet. They've been close against USC and Washington. I think they get this one for Kenny Dillingham, uh, kind of in his year zero year for him. And uh, it's kind of the highlight of the season, building momentum forward uh, going next year. Oregon State at Arizona, 730 on ESPN. Beavers a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Um, I think that spread's about right. This game is wild. I don't think it's a trap game. I just think Arizona's good, and they're playing at home, and I think Oregon State's got their hands full. I'm going to pick the Beavers close, 34-31, something like that. I'm going to take the Beavs as well. I think they win in cover, but, man, I feel like I could look foolish on this one. I, I love Jed Fish as a coach. I love what Arizona's been doing all season. Uh, it's going to be. It's definitely not a, you know, a trap game for Oregon State. They know what they have in front of them. Everyone said that. Jonathan Smith said that. Anthony Gould said that. So I think Oregon State wins. I think they're prepared, uh, but it's going to be a close game. I think Oregon State wins and covers. All right, coming up, Bill Riley, ESPN 700 in Salt Lake City, will be joining us. We're going to talk about this Utah-Oregon game. What am I not thinking about when it comes to Utah? They revealed their helmets today. They they get it right. They're honoring their student section with their helmets. The students at Rice-Eccles Stadium are going to go bananas when they kick this game off. It is a 12.30 kickoff Pacific time, 1.30 in Salt Lake City. But Bill Riley is the voice of Utah Athletics. He was the guy on the call as uh, Utah beat USC. I'll ask him what you know what he thinks of Lincoln Riley calling out Kyle Whittingham and Utah saying, you know, they had our signs or they were they were doing a good job stealing our signs. Is that bad form though? Is, I, I almost think like, you know, it was like Dan Lanning said on yesterday's show, if you had the other team's sign, it's a huge advantage, but it depends how you get it. Like if you get it by Hey, we're looking across the sideline and we steal the sign. Tip your cap to him. Bill Riley from Salt Lake City next. Out of the hold of Jack Baumeister. The snap is back. The kick is away. It is up and it is good. It's good. It's good. And the Utes have beat the Trojans at the Coliseum. Bill Riley, ESPN 700 was on the scene with that call last Saturday. He's on the scene in Salt Lake City now, where uh, College Game Day is preparing for a broadcast tomorrow morning and a big football game that will, uh, of course, be airing on Fox. Bill Riley joining us. What was that like to call that moment? It was fun. Um, You don't get a lot of those. And you don't get a lot of those at the Coliseum against USC, so uh, that was that was a lot of fun. I had a good one last year too. The the, the old two point conversion by Cam Rising with about 50 seconds left in the game to put him up on SC as well. So um, they've been a lot of fun. That's what stinks about this Pac-12 disintegration thing. I I don't know when the next time is I'm going to get to go to the Coliseum again. Was it important for Utah, even though Utah had had USC's number, if he misses the field goal? 
you know, was it important to Utah to get that final win, given that these teams may not play again for a while? Well, yeah, for a couple of reasons. One, if they don't, if he misses that kick, they're they're probably out of the Pac-12 race. I mean, they're they're probably done with two losses in Oregon and Washington um, still to come. But uh, yeah, it, yeah, and it, I think it was yeah to, because John, they've they've had success against USC. They're not going to get a chance to go back there. Storied program. I still think a lot of people look at USC as one of the big reasons why kind of that first domino to fall and cause the Pac-12 to end. So. I think it was big for a lot of reasons. The uh, college game day scene, Kyle Whittingham riding his Harley <laughs> in for an interview with Pat McAfee today, uh, shows up on a motorcycle. Um, how much How much is that being embraced by Utah fans? Oh, they love it. I was in the middle of my show and seeing social media clips when that was going on. McAfee started about an hour before my show started, and then I knew Whittingham was coming on. Then I saw that thing hit social media. I mean, that, that's real. I mean, that's his bike. I mean, he rides a Harley. That's that's kind of Kyle is a rock and roll music, classic rock guy. He loves, uh, loves to work out, loves to ride his Harley Davidson. And, you know, he, he kind of embraced the moment. I mean, you've talked with him enough, John, to know he's uh, he's kind of a guy's guy. And what you see is what you get. And, you know, he uh, he, he likes doing that stuff. So he was, he was full in on it today. And I think somebody – probably informed him that would be a, a good entrance to the McAfee show. So Utah fans are, are eating that stuff up today. Yeah, you, you had Stanford Steve on your show. He's been on with us a couple times. He was wearing uh, today, uh, that's my pig farmer sh- T-shirt, uh, in honor of Bryson Barnes. Um, how much have you seen Barnes grow? A lot. Um, and I think some of it's just simply because he's played. I mean, he was that great Cinderella story when he came in for two series in the Rose Bowl when Rising got knocked out against Ohio State, and he throws the touchdown to Kincaid that sends it to 45-45. But, but people love this kid because he was a 1A quarterback, a walk-on. He was a pig farmer. His parents owned a gigantic you know, hog ranch. He was a wrestler. He was working at Lowe's this past offseason when he wasn't on scholarship to make money for he and his wife. I mean, people just love the story, and then you watch him grow. I mean, he's a, he, he, he's a smart kid. He knows the playbook inside and out. But if you haven't played, you're not going to be as sharp as guys that have. And I think you've seen him improve, especially the last three weeks, when it's been his show and his show alone and not splitting reps with, with uh, Nate Johnson, the freshman Wildcat quarterback. He's a good player. Is he Cam Rising? Probably not. Is he Bo Nix? Probably not. But he's a good quarterback, and he's a smart kid, too. And, you know, those reps have come a long way, and you've seen him kind of grow up and embrace the role. And I think the coolest thing about last week was the team found out that Rising and Keithy were being shut down for the year, and they had a vote before the game and voted him a captain. So before he ran on the field, he got that C on his chest for the USC game. I think that, that, that helped him a lot, too, with his confidence. Rising today danced around the question of whether he will be back next year. They're shutting him down officially for the year. He said, you know, we'll see. What's your sense on what goes into that decision for Cam Rising? I think a lot of it's NFL-related and what the NFL people tell him and what kind of feedback he gets there. Because I think Cam probably wanted to leave last year and, and try. I mean, he had two really good years. He's 24 now, John. If he comes back, he'll be 25. And so I, I think he'd probably like to go, but, you know, what does the NFL tell him? Will he be drafted? Will he be a priority free agent? 
I mean, you could be a free agent and still make a living. Tyler Huntley was the quarterback before him, was a free agent, was it benefited him because he got, you know, he went to Baltimore and ended up backing Lamar Jackson up. So I, I think probably in the best world, because of his age, he'd probably like to go. But I think a lot of it's going to depend on what the uh, what the NFL tells him, because you and I both know in this NIL world that we live in now, you can make a pretty good living as a core college quarterback, even coming back for a sixth or seventh year. Bill Riley from Salt Lake City. He is the voice of Utah Athletics. This is a big game for both these programs, and you're right. It's probably an elimination game for for the Pac-12 race. We'll see how it goes down the stretch. Um, I think Oregon's got the better team, but this game's in Rice-Eccles Stadium, and you know that stadium better than anybody, Bill. What is that stadium worth when when you look around to a team on game day? I, I think it's worth between a field goal and a touchdown, depending on what happens in that game. It's worth points. And there's no doubt about it. It's it's one of the better home field advantages in the West. This Autzen Stadium, probably Reeser and uh, certainly Husky Stadium are the best environments in, in the Pac-12 for sure and probably in the West. So I think it's good for at least a field goal, John. It might be good for good enough for a touchdown, too. I'll push back a little bit. I, I think if Cam Rising and Keith, and Keith are playing, I think Utah is just as good, if not better, than Oregon. But without those guys, with Bo Nix there and without those guys there, I would say Oregon's probably – uh, I would I would say they're probably probably the better team because of Knicks and because of some of the health they've got in their playmakers. But uh, Utah's defense is elite. Um, it's the best defense in the Pac-12, and it's probably one of the best four or five defenses in the country right now. And a really good defense at home with a good home crowd is going to keep you in the ball game. Now can Bryson Barnes and the offense make enough plays against that Oregon defense to give them a chance to win? Yeah, I keep thinking too. This, uh, I think if Oregon wins this game, it might be the biggest win for Dan Lanning because I go back even to last year and I go, you know, they didn't beat Washington, they didn't beat Oregon State. He he didn't beat Georgia. Certainly, he won a bowl game, but this is a this is a conference two time champion on the road. Even beating Utah last year at Autzen, it's not the same. I think this would be you know something that Dan Lanning has not done to this point, and I think that makes it fascinating as well and i'm glad it's going to be during the day what's the weather been like what are what are we looking at for kickoff um i think we're looking at about 47 and sunny for kickoff we had rain and a little bit of snow on thursday it's cleared off today it's sunny and about 55 today it's going to be a touch cooler tomorrow but man it's going to be football weather i mean it's going to be great there's no weather in the forecast mostly sunny 47 games at 130 I wish it was a night game, John, because there's a little more juice in the building. I don't care if you're at Rice-Eccles, you're at Autzen, or you're at wherever. Night games, there's just a little bit more juice, but there'll be plenty of energy in the building tomorrow. Kyle Whittingham, you know, his longevity, the fact that he's got the program humming, I can't I can't think that he's looking to move away from this. His contract runs through 2027. He'll be making $8 million dollars. When that comes, I don't think the money's important to him. But how much longer does Whittingham have there in your mind? He's going to coach as long as he feels like he's got a chance to probably make the college football playoff. That's the one thing he doesn't have on his resume, John. And I think there's a part of him that wants to probably coach at least a year in the Big 12. I mean, Utah's going to step into the Big 12 next year as either the best program or the well, it'll be the best program. It'll either be the best team or the second-best team next year in the Big 12. And with the playoff expanding to 12 next year, I think Utah will have a really good chance, either as the champion or the runner-up of the Big 12, 
to get into that playoff and then see where it goes. I mean, his resume, he, he's a Hall of Famer. He's an all-timer here. They're going to build the statue of him outside the stadium uh, when he retires. It's all there. He'll have a chance to be in the College Football Hall of Fame, too, because he was an excellent player and a coach. But I, I think that he's enjoying himself. The program's in great shape. He's embracing the role of CEO of the program. And, uh, you know, as long as they have a chance to be at or near the top of the, whatever conference they're in, I think he's – you know, I think he's going to stay around a little bit longer. Utah's going to win big in the Big 12, aren't they? I mean, I look over. That's not a better conference. There's no Washington. There's no Oregon. There's no USC. There's no UCLA. That's an easier conference for, for Utah. Absolutely it is. That's why I said they're going to step in, if not the best, maybe the second best program immediately. Oh, they're, they're going to have success. I mean, unless something cataclysmic happens between now and next year, yeah, you're right. They're, they don't have SC, Washington, Oregon, even an Oregon State in front of them right now. That that conference losing Texas and Oklahoma, they don't have a – Utah might be the flagship program and the football program in that conference immediately stepping in. That's a good league, but it's not anything like what the Pac-12 is even before this year. Even in a down year, the Pac-12's got SC or Oregon or Washington or Utah. They don't have any of that, so it, it should be a pretty easy transition next year. Kirk Herbstreit was just on with us, and you know he was talking about how the country does not understand the magnitude of Oregon and Utah playing, especially in the last five years when you look at these two programs. And he he pointed out that or that Utah just flies under the radar, and that you know people in the SEC footprint they don't know anything about Utah. It why why is that? Why why doesn't the program get more national pub? Well, maybe Kirk should look in the mirror. Maybe the worldwide leader, <laughs> if they looked beyond west of the Rocky Mountains or the SEC and Big Ten footprint, maybe that would happen, right? I mean, who's responsible for promoting and, and covering the programs? The networks and the news outlets are. You do, I do, but we're in the footprint. If they, I mean, that, that's been the curse of the Pac-12 conference in general. They don't look west unless it's USC and sometimes Oregon. You know, Kirk should look in the mirror. I mean, the, you know, the ESPN folks feel like they sometimes camp out in Big Ten and SEC country. Good football's played beyond here. You and I both know this. The, the Pac-12 is the best conference in the country top to bottom right now. The SEC's not. They're, they're in a quote-unquote down year a little bit this year. They'll still have a playoff team. But I'd put one through six, one through seven up in the Pac-12 this year against any league in the country. But, yeah, I don't, I don't know why they continue to say they fly under the radar. They're two-time conference champions. I mean, I, 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 I don't, I don't know why that is. Yeah, and I keep thinking, you know, what the Pac-12 needs is it, it needs a puncher's chance. It needs a, it needs to, you know, have a dog in the fight this year. And then I'm looking at the playoff rankings coming out Tuesday, Bill, and I'm, I'm a little concerned with, you know, Michigan and Georgia and uh, Oklahoma undefeated and Florida State undefeated, and, and, and I'm going, where's the Pac-12 going to fit in this? Unless it's, you know, an undefeated Washington, is a one-loss conference champion going to get left out again? I, I hope not. Um, I would think this year a one-loss Pac-12 champion would be a shoe-in based on how the conference has gone this year. Hey, Michigan might be the best team in the country, but they haven't played anybody, John. Yeah. Washington, I know they stumbled a week ago, nearly lost to Arizona State, but they've been really good this year. They're 7-0. and I still think Oregon right now is the most balanced team in the league and one of the most balanced team in the country. And if Utah beats the Ducks tomorrow, I think they should be on the short list in that conversation too. Now, again, 
undefeated, you're always going to get priorities over one-loss teams. But I, I don't. I, I just. It's hard for me to see a world, and maybe I'm just being goofy here, where a one-loss Pac-12 champion this year, unless you've got four undefeateds, doesn't get in. Bill Riley with us, ESPN 700. Let's talk about Utah's defense. It's elite. What makes it elite? Because they're good on every level. They've got playmakers on every level. They've got three elite pass rushers. Jonah Ellis leads Power 5 in, in sacks with 10, and he's got, I think, 15 tackles for loss this year. Uh, they've finally gotten healthy up front. Van Fillinger and Connor O'Toole, who are excellent defensive ends, are finally healthy and playing. They've got an all-conference defensive tackle in Junior Tafuna. They've got a preseason all-conference linebacker in Kareni Reed. They lost their freshman of the year last week, Lander Barton, but they replace him with a three-time start, three-year starter and captain from Stanford in Levani Damuni. And Cole Bishop and Sione Vaki, yes, the guy that plays running back and wide receiver, are probably the best safety combination in the conference. And the corners were finally tested last week. And, oh, yeah, Caleb Williams didn't throw for a touchdown pass for the first time in his career, high school or college. So the, the, all three levels are really, really good. And here's the thing. They're finally healthy. They hadn't been healthy all year long. They hadn't played together as a group, which was also a testament to the depth of what Kyle Whittingham's recruited. So it's really, really good. Playmakers on every level. And really and truly, the reason Utah's 6-1 and one right now is because of that defense. Yeah, and I, and I keep thinking, where Utah needs this game to be in the 20s. Like you don't want yeah. if you're Utah, you don't want to get in a you know thirty eight thirty five game with Oregon. I, I just think the Oregon firepower a little bit too much there. But but that said, I look at the last two weeks for Utah thirty four and thirty four. They have scored in the thirties, and I got to tip my cap to Andy Ludwig. In you know, the coordinators of of Kyle Whittingham have done a terrific job. Well, Morgan, you know, with the defense, but Andy's so good at scheming to the strength of what he has. You know, Sione Vaki, a safety, they bring him over. Now all of a sudden he's the juice in the offense they didn't have. Scheming to what Bryson Barnes does well. Here's the other thing, though, too, John. The offensive line is finally playing like a Utah offensive line. They got healthy, they got together, in the last two weeks they've been really good. And to me, that's where tomorrow is going to be decided. We could talk about Knicks and Barnes. We could talk about Sione Vaki. We could talk about Troy Franklin and Bucky Brook or Bucky Irving. But at the end of the day, which of the big uglies win? Which, which, which offensive line, which defensive line is better tomorrow? Because the team that's more physical in Lanning and Whittingham both pride themselves on physicality. The team that wins up front is going to win the game tomorrow. Yeah, and I think uh, it will be that kind of game. Look, Bill, uh, a couple of weeks ago, it doesn't seem that long ago, I saw Utah play at Reeser Stadium. They look like a very different team, and I know teams evolve over the course of the season, but what in your mind has changed just in like two to three weeks? Well, the offensive line got healthy, which they weren't. You need to be physical against Oregon State, and they couldn't match a lot of Oregon State's physicality. They were still rotating the quarterbacks then, John. It was Nate Johnson, it was Bryson, but it was mostly Nate Johnson. Nate Johnson started that game. He wasn't very good. Barnes came in, threw the pick after leading him into the red zone, then took the shot to the ribs. But they're not rotating quarterbacks anymore. And then they found their they found their electricity on offense. They found Sione Vaki. And they're using Vaki the way that the Niners use Christian McCaffrey. He's a wildcat running back. He's a running back. He's a slot receiver. They split him out wide. They just move him all over the field. 
and try to create mismatches with his speed and athleticism. He was an all-California, Northern California slot receiver in high school. He was fantastic. Utah just moved into defense because that's kind of what Kyle Whittingham does. <laughs> I love it. I think it's going to be a lot of electricity. Um, I uh, I will be flying in, and uh, I'll see you in the press box. But uh, I really appreciate you making time for us. And, and uh, a lot of electricity with game day. You think a little extra? In the stadium, does that you know how much does that add? Uh, I think there's going to be a little more juice tomorrow. Again, Oregon, big game, game day. I think the energy may not quite be what it was two years ago at night when Utah kind of buzz saw the Ducks, but I think it'll yeah. be pretty close to that tomorrow. Yeah, and I think like two years ago, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't it really about validation and Utah kind of owed Oregon and there'd been all the talk about Oregon. It was all about Oregon nationally. I walked into the stadium that night and I went, Oh, Oregon's in trouble. There was just, it was the same same thing. It was the same thing that happened at the PAC 12 championship game two two years earlier. All everybody was talking about was Utah, Utah, Utah. If they win, they go to the playoff, blah, blah, blah. And Oregon got sick and tired of hearing about it and punched Utah in the mouth. Utah did the same thing to Oregon two years ago. Now we'll see if they trade punches tomorrow. Bill Riley, have fun tonight. I will see you tomorrow at the stadium. Father of the year, John Canzano. I'll see you then. <laughs> there he goes, Bill Riley. You know what? He's making fun of me or giving me a tip of the cap there uh, because the barn blast is tonight at my kids' elementary school. It's like the biggest deal to them. Uh, the kids get to put on their Halloween costumes. And so when the kids heard that I was traveling to get to do the Oregon-Utah game, they were like, you're not missing the barn blast. And I was like, okay. So instead of flying out tonight after the show, I am catching a 5.45 a.m. flight tomorrow to Salt Lake City, covering the game and then turning it around and flying back. So that's what I'll be doing, And but I'll be at the Barn Blast tonight. Anna will come along. With the 5 at 5 is still ahead. Uh, Punch It Audio still ahead as well. And plus, Stephen and I are going to give our NFL upset of the week. We're going to pick one game that we think will be an upset. Stephen's got one. I've got one. Stay tuned. <laughs> Anna, Anna's headset cord. Is it a cord? Is that what it is? Yep. The cord is, uh, uh, you, you, uh, the cord itself was underneath the leg of a stool that's in the studio. And so when she went to put on her headset, she <laughs> had to lean down like, I thought you were falling out of your chair. I about did. I get it. You're trying to see if I can be a contortionist like the bendy girl from Cirque du Soleil. I get it. Good job. Okay? Way to be an athlete. <laughs> yeah. Way to be an athlete I right there. could have been real bad. Way to be an athlete. Hey, you know what? Something happened last night. We were at the Killer Burger, and our, uh, our seven-year-old soccer team had their kind of end-of-the-season banquet, so to speak. And it was a banquet. Like, these yeah. things have gotten real fancy over They went the all years. out. And I enjoy a killer burger as much as anybody. So I, I was happy to be at this banquet. And, but the coach did a really good job. Like, they went around and talked about every player. And I want to just give a shout-out to youth sports coaches who coach teams, who spend their time 
effort, energy. They could be getting a massage. They could be at the gym. They could be reading a book. They could be getting a pedicure. And instead, they are out there on a grass field with your kids and my kids, coaching them, pouring into them. And then at the banquet, the coach, like, there was, I don't know how many players on the soccer team. Sixteen. Okay. Sixteen players on the soccer team. And the coaches went around and spoke about each kid. And it, it, it something hit me when they were doing that. And if you're a coach of a youth team, I really encourage you to do this. Those kids were beaming <laughs> when they were hearing an adult that was not their parent say something positive about them. And whether it was this kid showed up every day with a smile on their face or this kid really uh, worked really hard at practice. And this kid, wow, showed a lot of growth. And this kid on game day was the first kid to come off the bench and hug and celebrate a goal by somebody else. And this kid, like every single one of those kids I watched, they beamed. Having an adult pour some love and encouragement into them. And so, you know, for coaches who coach teams, good on you. And for coaches who do a banquet where they, even if it's a like, at Killer Burger Banquet, which, by the way, is not a bad place to have your banquet, um, and you spend a moment just telling the kid one little thing, one little thing, all those kids left feeling good about themselves. I can tell you that. And they want to come back next year. Yeah, I think what's really cool is that we had a lot of parents step up to help coach this season. And, you know, in fact, the, the main coach, the head coach, was so desired. Like, so many people requested her as a coach that that's why we wound up with 16 girls that she split into two teams. So the she girls, was coaching two teams. She really was coaching two teams. The girls practiced together, but they were playing different opponents on the weekends. And, you know, I'm just going to say, like, Polly Meek is my hero because it's like there's a reason everyone's requesting her, and it's because she puts in so much heart into the coaching. She and her husband both are youth coaches in our community. And when you think about it, like, coaching is a sacrifice because you're not getting to just sit back and enjoy your kid playing the sport as a spectator. Like, you're in there, and you're often having to critique and, you know, make corrections and, you know, make a kid uncomfortable when you're trying to improve their skills. So, I mean, I just I can't thank these parents enough that stepped up and give their time and their energy, which are the two most valuable resources that we have time and energy um to help our kids i um did not i wanted to coach i can't because the radio show is on at this hour and but there have been some days where like we were preempted on a monday or a thursday with monday night football thursday night football and i would scramble out of the studio and get over to the field just to catch 30 minutes of their practice as it was ending and it was always really cool to kind of see that so i just i want to give a fist bump to all the coaches out there that pour into kids and volunteer to coach teams, and you know you're uh, you're all saints. Let's say that. Not so much of a saint is ESPN. How about ESPN and the tweet today, Stephen? Did you see the Damian Lillard tweet that uh, Sports Center or ESPN tweeted out with Lillard in a Milwaukee Bucks uniform, but not? really in a Milwaukee Bucks uniform. It was a it was a video that was apparently recorded when the Blazers were in the bubble and Lillard is like it's really misleading and weird. Did you see this thing? Uh no, I read about it. I did not see it. Uh but yeah, that is really weird that 
a company like ESPN that uh, you know hires people to run these type of social media stuff, they can't even uh, catch that kind of thing. That is weird. Lillard had 39 points, eight rebounds, four assists as his team beat the 76ers. And he got the final five points of the game for the Bucks, including a three that uh, got it. But after the game, SportsCenter's social media f- feeds post what initially appears to be a post-game interview with Lillard. But it looked weird, and people who recognized it as a Blazer video understood right away this is not the Bucks' home floor. This was uh, the Lillard jersey that's not the same jersey as what Milwaukee wore on Thursday night. And the audio um, wasn't right. And so people were like, what is going on here? But it was it was taken from the bubble during the pandemic and really misleading. And just maybe another example of the fact that, let's be real here, ESPN is not necessarily a journalistic enterprise. It is an entertainment company, and this is a really bad look for ESPN. Why? What did you think of it, Anna? It is so strange and so lazy. It's like, why not just use real footage of him after the game? Like, are they in such a hurry to put out what looks like an, a post-game interview with him that they would take old footage and repurpose it in this way? It is so weird and i mean i mean three, people three year it old, out. yeah three-year-old footage but like it's so blatantly odd that i almost wonder like well they had to know that people were going to pick up on this that it was not i don't know if they thought that the, far. Weird, really? the other weird part is they they put the bucks logo like in yeah. a weird spot on the free throw line too like it's just yeah. yeah it's it's awkward it's just the odd video i think it was probably done by somebody who wasn't thinking about the backlash and thinking this is really clever. Let's get a let's get it out there like it's a meme, you know. I disagree. I think that they knew what they were doing with this, but I think it's very short-sighted because right now they have a like a post reach or whatever it's called on X slash Twitter of like 3.4 million impressions. Great for them in the short term, but in the long term, what they lose is credibility. Yeah, yeah I think. You know, it's a good yeah, quote I, though from Dame. Like if it, if he did say that last <laughs> night, it'd be great. <laughs> yeah, in our makeup world, right? Yeah. Sports Center said we wish he would have said this. And in fact, let's paint his uniform on him. Use AI to create a new video and put it out there. Like how far away are we from them just making up what they want him to say and using AI to tweet out a video that and Lillard being like, I never said that. In fact, I wasn't wearing those clothes. When I hit the shot last night, I think it's a really bad look, but I think it's also a reminder, like, I have to go through this every college football season. You know, ESPN owns, like, 30 bowl games, and then ESPN broadcasts those games, and they own them, and they broadcast them, and so they bought up all these bowl games, and then while you're watching a football bowl game during bowl season, end of you know, we're in December, we're watching college football games, what you realize is ESPN spends a lot of time promoting the other bowl games that they own. Not not the games they don't own, but they'll they'll ignore those ones. But if you are looking at like the Vegas Bowl, they'll start promoting the hell out of the Alamo Bowl. And they go, We own that one too. Oh, it's gonna be a great matchup. And you're really like left going, they aren't really 
like that's not an ethical thing. Like they are just promoting their other products. They're cross promoting. It's like Fox sticking actors for their TV shows in planted planted seats during the game and then swapping them out every uh, every uh, you know every every uh, other inning. What do you have? What are you trying to show me? The the actual video is is of Damian Lillard in a Blazers jersey. Yeah, it's taken from it's the just... 2020 bubble. They like, were in the bubble. Yeah, I know, like and he, he literally said that quote. Yeah, in yeah. the bubble because he yeah. had 61 points in the game, and he's that, that was his whole thing is I'm not going to win in the bubble if we're not going to win. <laughs> and and so they've taken the video and they've just altered it. Like it's the the so Bucks weird. wore green last night in the video. Right. He's wearing black. Right. It's weird, but it's just a reminder that ESPN's not a journalistic entity. Well, I'm glad they're being called out for it. Like all the response to it has just been in mass. Like, what are they doing? This is fake, you know. But again, like I just, I have to think it's part of some weird strategy that, like, well, at least people are talking about it. Look, we're talking about it. Yay yeah. for the day. But I don't know if it's that intentional. I, I think they're a little bit reckless and careless and. You know, given all of the uh, everything we've seen at ESPN, they can't they can't be okay with that. But they haven't deleted it. They haven't deleted it's it. It's still up. That's what I'm saying. Would it's... you delete it if you were them? Would you knock it down? Would that be, or is it a bad? Is it worse to delete it? Um, I mean, I I don't think it's actually responsible to keep it out there because it's false, right? But um, from a brand standpoint, that I would keep it up. Because it's like, hey, everybody's talking about it. Everybody's going to go looking for it, and it'll frustrate people to go looking for it who hear about it, and only to find that it, it's a deleted tweet. Couldn't they just, shouldn't yeah. they just put out like a like a quote tweet that says, "We understand this isn't from last night." Something like it that. should have been included. It should like if they would have originally done it and said, "Damian Lillard in 2020," and you know if they had just been transparent about it. I think they could have said, you know, hey, altered to, you know, what he might have said last night, you know, and, and then they don't they don't get the blowback. But why not? You're, you're right. Like, didn't they have any footage of what he actually said last night? So instead they put that out, you know, I don't know. I found the fo- I found the footage of what he said last night after the game. Wasn't that hard? <laughs> Steven should be in charge over there. Uh, Blazers tonight, home opener. At Moda Center. Unfortunately, the Blazers are now in 11th place in the Western Conference. So my whole, how many days can the Blazers stay in first place ended on opening night. Uh, They have the Orlando Magic tonight at Moda Center. 7 o'clock tip-off. Steven? Is there a shot that they're 500 at the end of the night? Uh, There's definitely a shot, but it got hurt again today. Uh, Anthony Simons. You know the uh, the veteran leader that he is on this team. He's 23 years old. He's the he's the guy that's been on the team the longest. He actually uh, had an MRI today and revealed a tear of his UCL in his right thumb, and he will have surgery. He'll be out four to six weeks. So their best scorer is out for four to six weeks already. Seems like a really blazer thing to happen early on in the season. But I do think they have a chance. The Magic are a good young team as well. But I, you know I expect. And here's my thing, John. We talked about the effort after the first game. How it, there was no effort. I have to assume that the Blazers are going to come out with some type of effort in their home opener, and Chauncey can get them going. If they can't, I think that says so much about Chauncey Billups, but I have to assume that they're going to play with more energy. They got a shot tonight. I think uh, that if they don't win tonight, they'll never again get back to 500 this season. They're going 0 82. I think no, but I just don't think they'll get to 500. That you know, they it, two is too many to it's too big a hole for them. 
to crawl out of. And with no Amphrey Simons, isn't the under 38 and a half wins looking pretty good? Yeah, under 28. But, uh, 28, yeah. Yeah, 28 and a half. I, I agree with that. I think after one game, that would be the side that I would go with. But you know what? I, you know, I'm not the biggest Amphrey Simons guy. I think that they can fill in and they can find guys that can score. So it's going to be a loss because he was supposed to be the guy that scored all the time for them. But, you know, we'll see what happens. It'll be interesting to see if they go with the young guy, Shaden Sharp, in the starting lineup or if they go with Malcolm Brogdon, who's a veteran, and they keep Sharp off the bench. It's kind of one of these things where you, you, you wish you had a good coach in this situation, and Chauncey has not proven to be that. Coming up, we're going to talk about some changes in college basketball that has the college basketball world in an uproar. I don't think it's that bad, but we'll talk about it next. Super excited to see what happens in Salt Lake City tomorrow and in Tucson tomorrow night as Oregon State is traveling to Arizona. I've got photographers at both games in Salt Lake City and to cover the Utah-Oregon game. I'll have photo galleries at johnconzano.com, and I've got a, another photographer in Tucson tomorrow night to uh, shoot the Oregon State-Arizona game. So if you want to receive those galleries in real time and feel like you're at the game, go to johnconzano.com, get a free subscription, get a paid subscription. What works for you works for me. Uh, let's talk a little bit about this NIT mess. Is it a mess? College basketball is really upset about this one. Uh, the uh, the uh, NCAA announced some changes to the NIT. And, uh, you know, i I got to be honest with you. The NIT tournament, it's the Junior Varsity Tournament. We know that. The NCAA tournament's the real deal. And I barely pay attention to the NIT. But some of the NIT schools that play the play in that tournament, they, they, they care about it, and the field cares about it, and it's got a lot of tradition. And so uh, today um, it was announced that the uh, NIT field that automatically usually includes any team that wins its conference regular season title but does not qualify for the NCAA tournament, um, usually those teams get in. And historically, the low majors and the mid-majors like it because, hey, it gives them a chance, even if they win their conference tournament, or excuse me, their regular season tournament, excuse me, the regular season, they win the regular season but don't get the automatic bid. They're, you know, they lose the conference tournament, they still get into a postseason. But beginning in 2024, the field will now guarantee births to 12 teams from the ACC, the Big Ten, the Big 12, the Big East, the Pac-12, and the SEC, regardless of record. It will not extend that courtesy to the low majors who win the regular season championship. This is uh, very unpopular with the college basketball writers, and it's very unpopular with fans who are already pissed off at uh, realignment in the loss of tradition. And uh, a lot of people are saying this does not, this misunderstands what the NIT is. It's a chance for, you know, a big sky regular season champion. Let's say Portland State wins it, uh, but they lose the conference tournament. It allows them to get into the NIT. This is more money and bigger exposure for the big programs. Uh, people saying uh, this is bad. You don't get an automatic. This is uh, this is terrible. Steven, I got to know, you're a basketball guy. How how big is this in your world? Um, I absolutely hate it. I'm one of these people that hates what they're doing. Uh, it, like, just going back and looking at past NITs, and you can go and do this. Like, North Texas, they won the NIT last season. They played UAB. Those teams, 
They almost got to the NCAA tournament, but North Texas, according to Ken Palm, who is you know the gospel of college basketball, of how you rank teams, North Texas was the 31st best team in the nation. So, but they barely got in the NIT because they didn't win their conference or they uh, didn't win the conference tournament. They got knocked out a little bit early, but they were a really good team. They barely get the NIT now with this new rule. They're probably not going to get into this tournament. And they're a good team. You're just just because you're a smaller school doesn't mean you don't belong to play on these type of stages. It matters to these smaller schools. The head coach of Siena, uh, he he just tweeted out the goal of any mid-major program is the NCAA tournament or the NIT. And he said with our fan base at Siena, it was always special. The highest attendance numbers that they've ever had in their school history were all NIT games. They played Tulane, UMass, Georgia Tech, and South Carolina. They were all over 10,000 people in the arena because they cared. There's been a lot of instances where small schools play these big schools. I remember Robert Morris hosted Kentucky, and they beat them because that would never happen in the regular season. Kentucky would never go to Robert Morris. They had to in the NIT, and those fans were so excited, and it was the you know the gift that kept on giving for them, and they probably will always remember that game. And now they're going to give it to you know a team who got ninth place in the Big 12, who wasn't very good and didn't deserve to get this chance. Like, I just, I hate it. You know, especially in the NIT, they're already trying to make it where these schools that are in the big conferences, they have a bad year. They're still, they're already trying to make it to get them to the NCAA tournament and be the last teams in. I would rather have the mid-majors be there that were good and had 25 wins. They won the thing. They played for the title. It was North Texas and UAB. But I would, in the NCAA tournament, I'd rather have those schools that won 25 games on the year get in over, you know, a Rutgers that wins 18 games. Like, I just, they weren't very good. And so, I don't know. I have a problem with it. I I like to look out for the little guy in these tournaments because there's a lot of good basketball going on. I don't need to see the ninth team in the Pac-12 make the NIT and get, you know, host, yeah. host games. It'll be like a 5-13 and 13 Penn State that gets in from the Big Ten. You know, a bad team that gets in versus others. Because these and, big schools don't yeah. care about the NIT. The smaller schools yeah. actually care about it. It, it. Here's the other thing, though. Do you care about the NIT? Like, I, I have to be honest. The NCAA tournament is enough for me. I'll pay attention if, you know, Oregon or Oregon State are in it or play deep in it. But other than that, I kind of casually watch it, and I go, eh, it's the tournament of the other teams. Like, you know, 64-68 is enough for me. I get that. Uh, for me, I do care about it because I love college basketball, so, like, I'll watch it when it's on, and I'll bet on it because I, I'm a weirdo, and I like to do that kind of stuff. But, like, so for me, it, it does matter. Like, I love the atmospheres of the NIT. I mean, you can go back to last year, Eastern Washington beat Washington State. And at Washington State, and Eastern Washington celebrated so big because they beat the big-time school in their state. And now, with the way they're doing it, we're just not going to get those type of matchups anymore. And it just it bothers me. Like it just I love to see the underdog. That's what March is about. It's about the you know the little guys going and taking on the big guys. We already get that in the NCAA tournament. You know, usually this past year was a little different because you know some schools got to the very end. But in the NCAA tournament, usually it's the big guys they last till the end, which is great. That's what we want to see. But the NIT at least give the little guys one tournament. You can't even do that. Well, and I think this is particularly chafing because of everything we just experienced with football. The conference realignment talk, the impact of TV on the decisions and the flow of the money, and this feels like an extension of that. I know it's not directly a parallel, but, you know, just like like the schools, like Washington State and Oregon State being left out because they're in smaller market towns, I mean, this this feels like an extension of that in some way. They tried this in the NCAA tournament. Greg Sankey, who, you know, and some of the other commissioners have talked about, you know, they've looked at their own conferences and they're saying, hey, 
you know, we'd love to get another team in the NCAA tournament. And I think they really tried in the last round in talking to the, uh, the you know, the NCAA council, they tried to get the automatic bids for the conference champion of the tournament in like the big sky and some other small conferences. They tried to get that thrown out. They, they wanted to go to a strictly at-large situation. And, you know, automatic qualifiers if you're a power five, but then at-larges after that. And so there was pushback against that, and they were not successful. So I think they went to the next best thing. Now, Fox was trying to organize a postseason tournament for Power 5 teams, and I think the NIT went, damn it, if they do that tournament, it's going to cannibalize some of our field. And so they said, all right, we'll give in. We'll let in more of your Power 5 teams. We'll drop some of these rules if you don't win your conference tournament, then you're just in an at-large situation. I still think, you know, your North Texas is going to get in, but I think it's going to hurt some of those fringe programs that, you know, you don't see coming in the NC and the NIT. And, you know, some of those teams play really hard because they want to be there. Isn't it just, it just to me, it screams of the fact of, like, it's championship or bust. Like, we talk about the championship culture, and now it's like if you don't get to a high D1, a Power 5 team, you fail as a player. And that's not true. Like, I all, you know, I was a small college basketball player. I always will support small college basketball no matter where they're at. And so, like, for the fact that now it's, it's like they're trying to make it where you have to be at a Power 5 school to even get any recognition or to have any chance of winning anything. Like, I just hate that. I hate that that's the fact that that goes into – high school kids, and then they think, well, I have to go play in the Pac-12. Well, no, you don't. You can go play in the big sky and get your school paid for and go along in your life. You don't have to be shooting for the top D1. You can go play D2 and get your school paid for, but they're making it where it's all about high D1, all about Power 5, and that's all that matters, and it just takes away from the whole college, you know, the college essence of college sports. Money, money, money. It's I, I think it's the same thing that ruined the Pac-12. It's the same thing that's driving all of realignment expansion. It's the same thing that, frankly, is driving the expansion of the playoff. And, you know, the, now they're talking about in the playoff instead of, you know, the automatic qualifiers, you know, there's, there's there'll be no Power 5, so to speak, technically after the Pac-12 dissolves. And what do they do with the Pac-12's bid? There's like this kind of silent fight that's going on over that bid that nobody's, like, really saying out loud. And nobody wants to be impolite to Oregon State and Washington State, but those other conferences are all going. That should be a uh, that should be an at-large bid now. And by the way, it should go to a Power Five. And then the group of fives are going. No, that bid should stay with the Pac Two, or it should be you know one more bid for the group of five. Like you know that can't just be a a, a clear at-large berth that's going to go to a another SEC team. But you you know damn well the SEC is going. That's money, that that's extra money, and so everybody's kind of jockeying, and they keep tabling the discussion out of respect for Oregon State and Washington State, and it's coming though. There's going to be a day when the SEC and the Big Ten, and the Big Twelve, are all going to go. Uh, you know what? That bid that we caused, that we like we imploded that conference over there. Uh, we'd now like to take that bid and make it an at-large. And, oh, by the way, how about putting another Big Ten team in into the playoff? It's all coming. All right, the 5 at 5 is going to happen next. Anna's ready for this. Uh, in the 5 o'clock hour, the happy hour, Stephen and I will talk about the Pac-12 weekend and we'll give you our NFL upset pick 
We're going to pick one underdog to win a game outright this weekend in the NFL. You got the bold face truth statewide. Buckle up, as Willie Taggart once said. Sometimes I'm leaving a stadium on a college football Saturday. And as I'm walking out, walking down the steps, I don't care where I am. The Los Angeles Coliseum, the Rose Bowl, Stanford Stadium, Berkeley just a few weeks ago. Reeser Stadium, Autzen Stadium, Husky Stadium. I leave the stadium and I have I have this weird thought. The end of my work day. I've written a column. I obviously have thoughts about the game. Told people what I think. And I leave the stadium and I and and sometimes I even end up on the phone with Anna and I'll say, I have a weird job. This is a weird existence. That this is my job. And I wrote that today. I wrote a paragraph about that today in a story that was long overdue. 2005, 2004, almost 20 years ago, 18 or 17, 18, 19 years ago, I wrote a series of columns about a little girl named Victoria Roberts. We talked about her on this radio show. We had her on the show. She uh, had a rare blood disorder called aplastic anemia nobody knew what it was caused by her parents said uh, we're facing some really stiff medical bills she'd been in the hospital like a hundred nights before I even met her and I saw pictures of her and then I met her in person and she was almost unrecognizable from the drug cocktail that the the doctors had put her on that was uh, supposed to uh, help her immune system. It, it, it had, she just was so swollen. She was 35 pounds heavier than she should be, carrying a lot of fluids. And she had missed a lot of school. It was really sad. I mean, it was really a tense time in the Roberts household. And parents knew she needed a bone marrow transplant. They also had medical bills that forced them to sell their house. They had to sell their car. They were in trouble. And I wrote a series of columns about Victoria and the fact that her family was facing this, three, not only a $350,000 procedure, they had to come up with $350,000. They also needed to find a, a marrow match for this seven-year-old little girl who was not going to survive if they, didn't ha- if they didn't get this procedure. And even if they got the procedure, there was a chance she wouldn't survive. And I remember writing the columns and just watching people respond. Anna, you were then reporting and anchoring for K2, K-A-T-U in Portland, and you did a series of stories about her as well. And I wrote the column today about, you know, not just Theo Ratliff, for, former Blazer, who stepped up. He and his wife delivered a $35,000 check to Victoria's family, along with the book, Oh, the Places You'll Go. But a lot of other people stepped up as well. You know, like a Little League raised $1,600 for her. A, a, a Bible camp, a vacation Bible camp raised, did a fundraiser for her. A classroom get, got together and, and did a door-to-door fundraiser. They raised $160. Like, everybody was doing everything they could possibly do. Well, I caught back up with Victoria 17 years later. I called her up. Because I think about her every NBA season because of Theo Ratliff's connection with her. And and I got an update on her, and I wrote about it today. She she did recover. 
And she went on to have a normal high school experience, as normal as it possibly can be for a kid who missed like a few years of school. And she's now a nurse. She had her nursing certificate, and she wants to be an oncology nurse. And so I caught up with her. I wrote about it. If you need a redeeming story, you need something to feel good about going into your weekend, you can read that now at johnconzano.com. There's no paywall on it. Just read it and enjoy it. But, Anna, you got to know Victoria a little bit as a 7-year-old kid. Yeah, I'm so glad that you um, did an update on this because it's one of those stories, you know, that I look back on from reporting that makes me smile because she was so brave. I mean, she was seven years old and going through all of these intense procedures and doing it all without complaint. Like, I don't know how many of us would be able to endure everything that she went through with the attitude that she had, and I will never forget that. Um, it hits home especially now because we have a seven-year-old, and it's very easy for me to imagine how difficult that would be as a family to go through that. And it's not surprising at all that she has tied that now to a future as an oncology nurse. I think that's amazing. She's 24 now. That's That knocked me over because I said <laughs> to her, I was talking to her on the phone, and I was like, how old are you now? And she's like 24. I was like, what happened to that seven-year-old kid? But here's the other thing. Like, there were some other kids who were in treatment at the same time as her that also needed that same treatment. I heard from their parents today, and they said, one of the dads said, my daughter didn't make it. And, you know, he she had the same condition. And he said, thank you for writing that. I'd always wondered if she made it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that just crushed me right now to even say that out loud. Like, it, it's... um. It's a story really about, it's not just about Theo Ratliff and his wife, who did, who, by the way, saw, hey, there's this family that's facing this staggering issue. They need $350,000. Here's 10% of it. Here's thirty five grand. And he wrote a check. Darius Miles wrote a check. Uh, Juan Dixon wrote a check. Um, a whole bunch of people wrote checks. They got, they got, I remember when they got down, they needed only 72000 mm-hmm. And it seemed like that's so attainable. But you think about it, that's a lot of money. And they got it down to 72,000, they got it down to 50,000, and then all of a sudden they had enough. And, you know, she, and then they found a 59 year old man who was living in the Midwest who was a marrow match. And I know you went and you donated blood today, Anna, but people who also go and get their cheeks swabbed and, you know, enter the marrow database on the chance that one day that maybe they ought to, they could save a life, that's another thing too that I think a lot of people can get behind. Yeah, it's a simple thing that you can do. And it really gives you perspective. Like, you know, kids can be hard, right? They're not sweet little baby angels all the time. So uh, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> so it really, it gives you context and perspective as a parent to be like, hey, man, count your blessings. If you've got a kid that's healthy and running around and playing sports and being difficult, like, that's a great day. You know? Yeah. Well, yeah. I had a couple of people who said, you know what? I was having a really bad day. I was feeling sorry for myself. Then I read that column, and you uh, it changes your whole perspective. So you can grab it at johnconzano.com. I've tweeted it out. I put it on the Facebook page. Uh, take a look at it. If uh, it's not going to be the most read thing today, it's not going to be the most read thing that I write. You know, people are far more interested in the football teams, whatever, and that silly job that I have. And so I, it's it's just interesting to me at different times when I write something and I go, hey, this is kind of important. Like, you know, 
it's it's a day where maybe I don't feel that same feeling when I'm leaving the game going, my job is to watch football. Like, you know, there's that Facebook post, write what your job is, literally. <laughs> my job is to watch football and then write what I think about it. You know, that's, you know, a guy holding a jackhammer. My job is to hold a jackhammer and break up concrete. If you start thinking a little bit too literally about what you do and maybe not the impact you have, then I think uh, you can lose your way pretty easily. All right, let's do the five at five. These are the five biggest stories of the day as Anna sees them. The five at five. Number one story. Well, we've talked a lot about Michigan and the sign-stealing scandal. Uh, Not exactly like that, but interesting that uh, Lincoln Riley is commenting about the USC-Utah game. He was asked about this giant screen that was used in last weekend's game where, like, they were hiding his signals to Caleb Williams using, like, a guy, like the screen guy that he was holding up and blocking the signs. And he spoke today about that. He said that Utah is an opponent that they have played against multiple times, and they know they do a good job of trying to grab signals. He did add that that kind of stuff has been going on forever. So again, science dealing during a game Mm -hmm. not banned by the NCAA. The situation in Michigan goes beyond that. (laughs) Yeah, and and look, I I think that Lincoln Riley's just sort of perpetuating the whiny, crybaby, things-didn't-go-my-way act that has, I guess, unfolded in the wake of them losing to Utah. Own it, man. You lost. You got beat. Scoreboard. Let your players talk about it. Don't go into the news conference saying, I don't know where these expectations got created. After you said this is going to be the mecca of college football, don't miss practice. You know, the whole week has been I, – I, I'm kind of looking at USC differently now under Lincoln Riley. He's 0-3 against Utah, and I don't like the act in the wake of that loss. Very like Compare that to what Dan Lanning did after he lost to Washington. He comes into that next news conference, and he just owns it. Like – I got way more respect for that. Is there a chance that USC fans get really upset with Lincoln Riley and want him out by the end of this year? I think there are already USC fans who are upset, but I think they're tied to him at $10 million a year. And I think it, I think he has nine years left on the contract. I think they might just be hoping that it's a package deal to the NFL, that somebody in the NFL takes him. And, I, and you know what? I kind of think he's looking for an out. He's going to the Big Ten. You think it's going to be easier than Utah, Ohio State, Michigan? You got to still play Oregon and Washington. They're going to beat his pants off this year. You know, USC headed to the Sun Bowl or something. What number are we on? Two. I know. <laughs> so hard. Number two. Really hard. Uh, Coach Deion Sanders, according to his longtime business partner, says he's not going anywhere. That he is not going to be bolting anytime soon. Uh, that he is committed to Colorado. She says he's having too much fun there. And just being able to be who he really is deep down inside, driving his tractor and wearing his cowboy hat. This is all amid some chatter that maybe he'll wind up going to the NFL because he has had 
So much success, at least boosting the visibility and popularity and drawing audiences for Colorado's games. Is he re- is he ready to put that in writing, or is this just? Hey, I'm really happy where I am. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean. It's like it's like uh, when Jake Jickert, I asked him earlier. You know, just uh, what a week ago. You know, hey, uh, by the way, are, are you having any contact with these other schools? Are you looking for other jobs? What's going on? Have you had contact with other schools during the bye week? Did you meet with Michigan State? Did you talk with Michigan State? Did you talk with any other school? Is any of that going on? I have not talked to a single person, not just in the bye week, but any week, uh, John. And, you know, I love being here, and I don't need to defend my position here at Washington State. This is the job that I'm here to do and to move our program forward and into the future. So we're excited about that, uh, and that's been our only focus really the whole time. It's not just Michigan State. You say you didn't talk to any schools over the bye week. That's not part of the distraction. That's not happening right now. Yeah, I haven't talked to any schools ever, John. So I'm I'm excited okay. about this opportunity this week uh, against a really good Oregon team. There you go. It's not uh, not talking to anybody, you know. And uh, remember when Willie Taggart was asked, when uh, you know, hey, are you talking to schools? That's the same thing I got uh, two, three days ago. Nothing's changed. Still, nothing's changed. The answers I gave you guys then is the same answer. Same it. No, nobody's going anywhere. Coach Prime's not staying there forever. He's going to stay there for a little bit, and then he'll take a better job. And then Colorado will go, you know what? It was worth it. They should. It was worth it. Number three. Arena football coming to Salem. I love the name. Uh, the Oregon Black Bears uh, announced as a new team yesterday. <laughs> Don't get me started on Bears. It's your biggest nightmare. Yeah. Are those the aggressive ones, or is it the brown bears that are the aggressive Black ones? Black bears. Black fight back. That's brown, right. Brown, lie down. It's committed to memory now. We were watching Cocaine Bear the other night, and I had never seen it. And exactly my nightmare scenario, the bear is approaching, and you're going, is that black or brown? Is that black or brown? <laughs> the best part is we were trying to watch something a little more lighthearted before we fell asleep so we would have better dreams, and Cocaine Bear was... Not it. <laughs> yeah, the black bear, also known as Ursus Americanus. Uh, <laughs> you know, can I get something that rhymes with that? <laughs> go okay. on, go on. So, <laughs> arena football coming to Salem. The Oregon black bears. This is interesting. The ownership team will be led by Kayvon Thibodeau, former University of Oregon defensive end and current New York Giants linebacker. Head coach is going to be Chuck Jones, former football player at the University of Kansas. And uh, they're going to be playing at the Pavilion in Salem, which is the relatively new 30,000-foot facility on the state fairgrounds. Like it. Will you go see a game? Will you? Will Steven, would you go see a game? Uh, if I was in Salem, yeah. Why not? <laughs> i got to go out of my way to see it? Probably not. They, you know what the team's going to have to do to get Steven to the game? Is they're going to have to... Pull up in a van while he's standing on the corner, and then throw him in. Put a put a hood over his head, zip tie him, then drop him at the arena. Then he'll go. And can I bet on it? That's the other one. <laughs> Number four. Four. Former NFL linebacker Blake Martinez uh, working out with the Panthers. He's trying to engineer a return to the NFL. This is after he retired in 2022. 
Um, just two weeks after he sold a 1998 Pokemon Japanese Koro Koro Rare Holofoil Illustrator Pikachu card at auction for $672,000, that inspired him to go into the world of Pokemon cards full time. Oh, no. Like, he retired from the NFL two weeks later yeah. and said, that's it. I'm all in on selling Pokemon cards. But it turns out he's been banned from one of the key sellers. Yeah, whatnot. Whatnot. Yeah. Um, because of uh, business practices that he engaged in while doing this. There's so many jokes here. Is it comeback in the cards for uh, Blake Martinez? There you go. <laughs> Do you root for this guy or against this I, guy? Because I don't know. This isn't like he left football to go because he was given a you know a, 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 an organ. He was donating an organ to a friend, you know, and now he's trying to make a comeback. It's not that story. He left to go sell Pokemon cards. He got banned from the selling site for questionable practices. Now he's saying. Hey, I think I can make more money in football. You can't root for that guy. <laughs> Supposedly he was ripping people off. Like, I'm not going to root for that guy. Check his feedback on eBay and then get back to me. Like, I kind of want to go do a documentary on him. <laughs> like, who walks away from the NFL to go into the card industry after you have one big sale? He's 28 years old, and he wants to get back in the game. I think we go to the next card show, and we uh, we go, like, Scout like Saturday Night Live should go to card shows and then scout talent, do a NFL combine with with uh, all these guys that are hanging out at the card shows selling cards. <laughs> you know, any other prospects in the room besides that Martinez guy? <laughs> no. Okay, number five. Okay, oh, this uh, windsurfer in Australia got body slammed by a whale. I saw this thing. While he was windsurfing uh, off the northern coast of Australia, Jason Breen, 55 years old, happened to have a GoPro, which is amazing because there's actually video of this happening. Like, he's just cruising along on his uh, windsurfing board thing, and this whale is breaching out of the water, hits him, and drags him 20 to 30 feet down. Fortunately, his leg rope that connects him to the board snapped. He says that he was underwater for 20 seconds. He thought it was, thought he was all over. Yeah. He thought he was done. There's I, actually video of it from another I, angle. I saw else it. Was taking video. Well, I saw the video of it, Whew. and uh, it's, uh, it's something else. And what do you think the whale was doing? Breaching. But do you think the whale, like, was just trying to play? <laughs> or was it a total coincidental? I just breached and who knew there was a windsurfer up there? You know, or was it trying to do this to him? I don't know. I don't know how to get inside the mind of a whale. We it's a big ocean. We, <laughs> we need to get the guys from Whale Wars on this. <laughs> whale Wars. You know, those guys, they're somewhere out there. Spinning around in circles, run out of gas, whatever they did this week. We would try to get them on, and then their Zoom link wouldn't work, or their internet, <laughs> their internet connection would fail. That show was so frustrating for me. The concept was so great. It was like these um, environmentalists, like uber environmentalists who are out on a ship 
trying to stop Japanese whalers from killing whales. Like, great idea, right? Except... Okay, when you're ready, Mike. Okay. There's a battle going on in the ocean. We have to save our ocean to preserve ourselves. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tricky, you know. And at this point, it's not, it's not happening yet. Captain Jim and his boat, the Peregrine, the ants have disturbed the bear, are the most experienced well-watched team in the San Juan Islands. <laughs> there it goes. Uh, but you know what? It was, uh, that show was so frustrating because for me, I wanted to see whales. <laughs> I thought on Whale Wars, I was going to see whales. And instead we saw the whalers. And then we saw the people harassing the whalers, throwing water balloons at them or whatever they were doing, <laughs> just hazing them. And, and then we just saw a series of misfires for an underfunded operation. That's all it was. Oh, we ran out of gas. How did you not know? You were low on gas. Oh, we went aground. How did you not know? You were about to go aground. Like, maybe oh. maybe I should be on the whaler's side. Oh, you know? Gosh. They seem more organized. They did. I just watched this video, and this is an example like 1,000 of why I don't mess with the ocean. <laughs> That's not your place. Oh, oh, you watched the windsurfing video? Yeah, like, the whale knew what he was doing. Oh, you you're you are inside the whale's head. Hundred okay. percent, he knew. Okay. He's like, I'm gonna take this take dude us for out. a tour. Yeah, he's <laughs> like, I'm gonna take this dude out, and you know what? If it turns out being food, that's fine. But I think it'll be funny just to knock this guy out. I, I actually think the whale probably went. I am so sick of those windsurfers making all that racket up there, and just went up and took care of it. Just trying to get a nap in. I'm not even sure what kind of whale it was. For all we know, this thing eats krill. It had no interest in a Does, human. Yeah, but it, I don't think it's trying to eat him. I think if it wanted to eat him, it would have ate him. <laughs> you know, I think it just was playing around. <laughs> I'm with Steven. I don't belong up there. I don't belong in that ocean. I don't belong under that ocean. I shouldn't be scuba diving. You know what my algorithm keeps showing me on TikTok now? Oh, I can't wait to hear. It keeps showing me people who were found in the middle of the ocean just treading water. Some of them are like snorkelers who just got swept out oh, miles wow. from the shore. Mm-hmm. And they're, and like a boat comes along. They've been in the water for 12 hours tw- treading Ooh. water. They have hypothermia. Another guy was a scuba diver who lost his tank. And so he's just out there in flippers just treading water. And boat comes along and saves him and like drags him into the boat. <laughs> like those are, that's what it's showing me. It's, it's preying on my fears too. Yeah. Steven and I, this is why we get along. We know we don't belong in that ocean, okay? If you're a scuba diver, bless you, but that's not for me. Good five at fives. Really solid. Steven and I are going to talk about the college football weekend. We're going to give an NFL pick for the Sunday uh, weekend as well. And uh, then I'm going to give you some things you need to think about going into your weekend. Leave it here. Well, we've got a big weekend of college games uh, still on the horizon. Uh, obviously, Pac-12, full slate tomorrow. It is a goodbye Saturday. And uh, what I mean by that is all six of the Pac-12 games will include teams that won't belong to the same conference in 2024. So Oregon State playing Arizona, great example. Oregon State in the Pac-2, Arizona in the Big 12. Oregon going to the Big 10, playing at Big 12 Conference member, Utah. Uh, goes up and down the conference, all six games, um, not playing uh, teams that they will be playing in 2024, at least in conference play. So if they meet, they'd have to meet in the postseason. And I guess 
the Oregon Utah game is the saddest one of all for me. Like, I'm not sad about Cal and USC not playing beyond next season. Cal's going to the ACC. USC's going to the Big Ten. And I'm and I'm not necessarily broken up over the idea that you know Washington isn't going to have an opportunity to to lock horns off to the Big Ten conference and you know won't find itself on a regular basis matched up against um, a Stanford team that is headed off to the ACC. Like that's not tragic to me. But Oregon and Utah. They've had this thing. They've both been in the conference championship game. They've played each other there. They beat, you know, Oregon beat Utah a few years ago, and then Utah beat Oregon. And so it's been this back and forth. And obviously this is one where I, I'm going, damn, I would love to see that rivalry continue. And I, do th- I think it is a rivalry, at least in the last five or six years. Um, Stephen, is there a matchup? this weekend that you'll be sad to see go? I think you're right on with uh, Oregon-Utah because that's turned into a little bit of a rivalry, right? Like, Utah's had the better of them the last couple games, but, man, it's like you look at Utah and they're doing it the right way, and you look at Oregon, they're doing it the right way as well. I I think that's the answer is Oregon versus Utah, but the second one for me would be Cal-USC because I go back to, you know, back in the day is Aaron Rodgers, and I remember just mm. those type of games. Like, those were big-time games down at Cal, down in Berkeley. And the Cal was always that team that you thought, all right, they could pop. All they got to do is beat USC. They got to beat the, you know, the juggernauts at the top, and they feel, I feel like they could never do it. They just never could get over the top. So that one always holds a little special place in my heart just with the history of it. Just It always seemed like Cal just could never get over that hump of beating USC when they really needed to. Pivoting to the NFL. Give me the NFL game this weekend. You got to take an underdog that you think has a chance to win the game outright. You feel good about it. So there's actually two, but one I feel really good, and that's the Panthers over the Texans. Um, The Panthers, I know, have not won a game this season, and that does not look good. But what they did is they actually, uh, Frank Wright, the head coach, gave up play calling duties to Thomas Brown the offensive coordinator, and I think that's going to open things up for Bryce Young. Bryce Young, he's played better the last couple of games, uh, but I think the fact that Wright gave it up, I think they're going to have a nice game plan. They had a whole week off to figure it out with the new coordinator, with Bryce Young. I still think Young has some throwing ability and some talent. The Texans have been good, uh, you know, about 500 this season, I believe, and C.J. Stroud, he's the offensive rookie of the year right now. He's the favorite, but uh, I don't think that the Texans are really that great. I think they're going to end up falling off at some point because they're just not talented enough, so I think Carolina gets their first win. I think Bryce Young gets the win over C.J. Stroud, and I'm pretty confident in that one. Like, I'm going to be betting that one. The other one I think is a real – it's a, it's more of a long shot, but it's the Patriots over the Dolphins. Yes, that's my pick. Okay, well, you talk yeah. about that one. Then. No, no, go ahead. Go uh, ahead. I, say- I, I, I just see vulnerability in the Dolphins. I saw it exposed, and, and I think coming off of that loss to the Eagles, and the Patriots have been very – you know, I think they're ripe. And, I, you know, I, I like the Patriots maybe to win that game. Yeah, Tyreek Hill, uh, you know – He's probably going to play, I would assume, but he's been hurt. He's been banged up this week. So, yeah, I mean, Mac Jones looked good last week. And just one of those things where, you know, call me crazy, John, I still think Bill Belichick is a really good coach. And I know that has been a struggle the last couple years without Tom Brady, but I have to believe that he's still a good coach. I I think you're right on with that. You know, the weather should be good down in Miami. No weather concerns. I think the Patriots got a legit shot, and you know they're plus uh, they're plus three sixty right now. I'm looking at yeah. it, so nine and a half points yeah. they're getting too. I th- I just felt like that was too many points because I expected that to be more like 
five, six. And when I saw nine and a half, I went, gosh, that's a lot of money. Uh, a lot of points there. How about this one, too? How about uh, the New York Giants at home against the New York Jets? Um, um, that is a Sunday morning game. Is that uh, really a home game, though? They're both home. Well, I, they're, <laughs> they're counting the Giants as the home team. But, yeah, you're right. Um, I'm with you. I like that one. But to me, I, here's where I, I hesitate. I have not been good when believing when looking at games involving mediocre or bad teams this season. I continually find myself like watching the Commanders play. I feel like every time I look up, the, the Giants are on TV or the Commanders. And I'm watching these games, and I find myself like with the Saints, the Commanders, the Giants. It's just kind of like this mediocrity in the NFL. I'm not good at picking those games. but So I'm looking at it going, could the Giants, who look so abysmal, when they're playing decent teams, is this game made for them? Like, is this the game where they they finally they beat the Jets? It's the you know it's the rivalry across town or whatever, and maybe this is their night. And then the other game I was looking at was, you know, the Seahawks are going to encounter a Browns team that gave the Niners a handful a couple of weeks ago, and I think Cleveland's a little better than advertised, and they're a three and a half point dog playing at Seattle. Yeah, Keep an eye on that one. Yeah, and the, those that Browns defense, uh, Miles Garrett, you know, he's been really good this season. I do want to ask you about the 49ers-Bengals, because the Bengals have been playing really well. Brock Purdy, now it sounds like Purdy may actually be able to come back. He hasn't he hasn't cleared protocol, but he practiced fully today for the 49ers. Um, you know, I, I, think, I think it's trending that he's going to play. If Brock Purdy plays in that game, do the Bengals have a chance to beat the 49ers down in San Francisco and the Niners coming off two straight losses? I think the fact that they've lost two straight is the only reason why they they're even thinking about it because I I actually would like I was looking forward to seeing like what could what could uh, Sam Darnold do in a role there uh, yeah Debo Samuel apparently worked out on the side as well because that's and I think that's a bigger one for the Niners is like he's got a shoulder issue but they saw reporters saw him at practice he was running off to the side he's already been ruled out for Sunday's game. But the fact that he's having a he's working out on a Thursday, you know, look like a step forward for him. So you know, I I think they're looking to bring him back maybe next week or you know, the Niners have a bye next week, so maybe after the bye for the Jaguars game on the twelfth. But Samuel will be out. I, I I was looking forward to seeing a little bit of Darnold. Like you know, this is why they brought him in. I hope they don't rush Purdy back because now we know we were just talking about the damn tush push, and here comes. Purdy trying to, you know, trying to push forward for a, uh, you know, a yard against uh, a really good team, and he takes a shot in the helmet. Like, I got to give Jalen Hurts some credit. He gets down low. Purdy did not get low enough on that on that quarterback sneak. Yeah, and that's the one thing about the touch push. And you know, I've had arguments with Judah about this. Judah loves it. Judah thinks it's a good play in the NFL because the Eagles are really good at it, and other teams are still learning how to do it. Like they're not very good. And I'm with you. Like it, it can be a dangerous play. Like if you don't run it right and you're not strong, like Jalen Hurts, like you can't get hurt. And it's happened numerous times this season. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what the 49ers do because I do kind of want to see Darnold as well. You know, he was a guy drafted third overall. Like he, he's supposed to be the guy. It just hasn't worked out. And if you couldn't get it done in the Kyle Shanahan system, well, maybe you're just not that guy. So I, I'm with you. I would have liked to see Darnold, but I think the 49ers would rather have Brock Purdy. He's a better quarterback at this moment. Uh, looking at college, John, is there talk about upsets? What Pac-12 upset do you think is most likely in the in the conference this week? Because I, I probably have a different answer than you do. Well, I um, I think Cal's got a shot to beat USC. Uh, 
I think that would jump out first. I know a lot of people would just pick Utah over Oregon because they're a home team and, you know, they're a six-and-a-half-point dog. But I, to me, it's Cal. And Cal's played USC tough, and I don't trust USC right now. How about you? Well, I picked Arizona State to beat uh, Washington State, so that would be my answer. But the other one is Arizona versus Oregon State. I, mm-hmm. I do worry about this game, John, and call me crazy, but I, I think Arizona has a real chance to beat Oregon State as long as they can somewhat contain that run game. And you know, Oregon State's been so physical for the last couple of years, and they've proven it that you know they've gone on the road. Think back when they went to USC and they just pushed USC around. They pushed uh, Arizona State around last season. It was it was kind of a trap game. I thought. You know, last season down in Tempe, they went down to Arizona State, pushed them around. Maybe they do it again here in Tucson to Arizona, but I don't know. I, I like the look of this Arizona team. The defense hasn't been improved. Jet Fish, I love him as a coach. I think that's. I think Arizona has a legitimate chance to beat Oregon State this week. Unfortunately, I hope not because I want Oregon State to get you know get to that two game stretch of Washington and yeah. Oregon with one loss. But I, I think this is uh, they're on upset watch I, here. I think right they're now. all di- they're all dicey because you know five of the six Pac-12 games have road favorites. And so I think the home teams are really good, and the home field advantage is big. And so, yeah, it's a dicey game for Oregon State. But as long as Oregon State understands the stakes, and I think they do, then I think Oregon State's going to win the game. But I do think it's a scary game for them because it's Tucson, and you're playing against a team that can score, and you're playing against a team that's playing better defense. But I just I look at Oregon State, I just think they're I think they're a better team. And I think Oregon's the better team. That's why i got to pick Oregon to beat Utah. And, you know, people I, I had people who are – Saying, "Oh, you're a homer. You're just picking the team." Look, I, I'm I'm picking these teams because they're good. Like you know, it, I picked Utah last week over USC because I I trusted Utah more than I trusted USC. But UCLA to me is the only home team that's going to win the game outright this week, and they've they are a favorite against Colorado. All the other teams, I think five road teams are going to win. The thing about Oregon State too, if they get by this game, John coming up is Colorado and Stanford, and they're nine got, and one, and they're nine they're, they're nine yeah. and one heading into that Washington game. So I do think this game yeah. so important for the Beavs. Get it done, and man, we're going to be looking at a great end of the season. It's a three game season to set up a two game season. I'm, I'm going to give you some things to to think about as you head to the weekend coming up. Plus, um, we had a guest. We had big guest appearances this week on the show. The biggest of them all came from our smallest guest. Tell you more about it uh, in the final segment today. You got the bald-faced truth statewide. Big college football weekend. Lots to talk about. Having a lot of fun this week. Great guests. Kirk Herbstreet, Bill Riley on today's show. For those of you who are interested in getting podcasts of those interviews, or Dan Lanning on yesterday's show, or Jonathan Smith on Wednesday, or Kyle Whittingham on Tuesday. And what, what more do you want from me again? Uh, you can get any of those interviews and podcasts of those interviews by grabbing the Bald Face Truth Radio Show podcast wherever you listen to a podcast. Just subscribe to the damn thing so uh, it'll be delivered in real time to your mobile device. But great guests all week. We'll keep it going, and uh, we will uh, have big guests all next week as well. Is this Pac-12 season and the NBA season and the NFL season are going to continue to be compelling and interesting and fun? They're going to be that diversion that you and I need from our regular life. Let's face it, that's what sports is supposed to provide. If you're interested in some perspective, some life perspective, I provided it today at johnconzano.com. I caught back up with Victoria Roberts, who I last wrote about in 2006. She was heading into a bone marrow transplant, and uh, you know she was seven years old. And I reached back out to her this week just to find out what happened. She was facing a 
life-threatening disease and a, a aplastic anemia is nothing to be trifled with and she was uh, in and out of the hospital and her family was facing financial ruin if they didn't come up with the money for the bone marrow transplant and lo and behold uh, so many people in the community including a few trailblazers came together to make it happen for victoria roberts i caught back up with her she's 24 years old now and she's alive and well and you're not going to believe what she's doing you want to read it find out more go to johnconzano.com or maybe you will believe what she's doing it's uh, it's quite a story um i want to talk about a few things going into the weekend that my mind are on uh a little story out of the new york times saying that the average starting player at a big time football program now makes more than $100,000 a year in name, image, likeness. Uh, Billy Witts uh, citing data from a Open Doors, which is a uh, an entity that uh, processes payments for student-athletes, uh, about 80% of those coming from collectives, points out that uh, you know the average star player on a Power 5 program now getting more than $100,000. So can we put to rest the idea that the football players that we're watching on Saturday are amateurs and just college kids and just collecting a little. I mean, these are professional athletes that are making six-figure salaries in a lot of cases. And my 7-year-old and my 9-year-old often ask me, they go, do the players get anything? Do they get more if they win? Do they get more if they lose? Like, they're just trying to wrap their heads around, like, when they see the 49ers playing the Minnesota Vikings, what's going to happen if one team wins or loses? No, 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 they, they both get paid. What about the college games? Well, they're not, they don't get paid, but they're able to collect. It's just such a weird thing when you try to explain college athletics versus pro athletics to a 7-year-old or a 9-year-old. You realize the uh, absurdity of it all. But uh, that was an interesting, interesting story in the New York Times. Maybe over the weekend while you're watching college football, you'll look and you'll see uh, you know, Michigan or Ohio State or Oregon or Utah or Oregon State or Arizona playing, and you can wrap your head around the idea that the average starting player in college Football is making $103,000, according to the story in the New York Times. Another story, uh, Michigan State's athletic director, Alan Holler, has issued an apology for the use of Adolf Hitler's image. I should just stop right there. As part of a trivia game on the video board uh, last weekend at Spartan Stadium, they apparently, uh, you know, you've heard this story, you've seen it, but they didn't review the video. But nobody looked at the video. And then they put the video up on the board as this trivia thing where, you know, where was Adolf Hitler born? And uh, apparently Michigan State going, this is supposed to be entertaining. And by the way, they got the video from a company called the Quiz Channel. And the Quiz Channel even spoke out in their own defense. Who knew? They said, to be clear, they were unaware that Michigan State was using the content for entertainment. It was supposed to be a trivia question. Asked in an appropriate trivia setting, you know, like a sports bar. I don't know. Uh, but it's an interesting story. Um, we haven't really touched on this this week, but Army will join the American Athletic Conference as a football-only member starting in 2024-2025. I think that's interesting that Army is moving into a conference. You're seeing everybody kind of choose up sides and try to figure out where they, where they stand as college football uh, realigns itself. Texas Tech is switching from Under Armour to Adidas. Do you pay attention to this kind of stuff? Do you pay attention to Nike School, Adidas School? I feel like we are in the Pacific Northwest, kind of right at like the epicenter of the battle between Nike, Adidas, Under Armour, Reebok back in the day, whoever, and one. 
whoever was trying to, uh, you know, gain market share in that athletic endorsement space or the college athlete space. I know that a a lot of people who listen to the show may have ties to either Adidas and uh, and Nike and to some extent Under Armour, uh, especially Nike in in our part of the woods. But uh, I just find it interesting that, you know, Texas Tech is switching from Under Armour to Adidas. Um, And by the way, you know who broke that news? Kansas City Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes broke the news. Um, finally, I'm going to leave you something that I mainly started the week with. We talked about this earlier in the week, but I think it's just fantastic. Portland State's president, Ann Cudd, showed just how strong a leader she's going to be. I don't know if you've seen the viral video of her pushing sleds with the football team and deadlifting to the cheers of the student-athletes and then suiting up and running out of the tunnel with the squad before the game. Nobody has ever seen this before from an institutional CEO. It was a brilliant marketing move by Portland State. It was a smart thing for Ann Cudd to do. She joined us on the show. I thought her her performance on the show was remarkable. And I I just want to finish today's show by pointing out how damn smart that was by Portland State to do that. Forward-thinking, creative, fresh, and it gave Portland State's... Uh, you know, chief administrator, an opportunity to shine and demonstrate, frankly, that she understands the power and the importance of athletics. I don't even know if she comprehends, because I talked to her, you know, in the interview we did earlier this week, but I don't even know if Ann Cudd truly comprehends how important and how valuable that gesture was. Her Vikings will play tomorrow at 1 p.m. against Eastern Washington at the stadium in Hillsborough. I encourage you to support Portland State. Go out and see a football game. You can grab tickets at GoVikes.com. But I'm going to leave today's show. I'm going to let Ann Cudd have the floor. Here's Portland State's president speaking on this radio show earlier this week. What I got out of sports was just, uh, you know, a lot of camaraderie, uh, an ability to, you know, be fit. And and uh, I think at a time when, um, you know, many women and girls were not, really uh, encouraged to be strong physically strong and 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 fit um you know i was uh, i was encouraged to do that by coaches and 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 just by having the opportunity to compete um and i think that's the other thing is i i'm i'm a very competitive person and i think my you know competitive juices were definitely stoked in in athletics and um you know, on the, at the same time, I really see competition in sport as as really a beautiful thing, bringing out the best in everybody, um, at least when it when it's you know played fairly. So, so those are the things I gained, I think, from it. Um, you know, it, it it's a an important thing, an important opportunity for for student athletes to have. Um, and I think you know, at colleges and universities, young people have a chance to really. Um, make the most of their athletic talent and ability um, if if we have sports teams. So I think it gives the individuals a tremendous opportunity. But then also, you know, there's it's it's a way it's something to rally around on college campuses. It's something, you know, people love to watch sports. Um, obviously, it's a big, huge um, enter- entertainment industry at this point, and uh, and so. It, it's an opportunity for students to and and the whole community to come together 
and uh, enjoy the, the university's team. I think it can help them, you know, with their brand and so forth. Um, and, you know, I, 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 ever, like I, I was at the University of Kansas for 25 years. Um, rock Chalk Jayhawk, you know, right. that's what we say to each other when yep. we meet other Jayhawks, right? And it's the sports team that really keeps that together. Um, you know, even, uh, well, at, at Pitt, it's, uh, you know, H2P, we say to each other, and, and that's all really centers around the sports teams. Um, and here it's Go Vikes. Um, so it, it's, you know, it's a, it's an identity that we can share and across all kinds of other kinds of difference. Truly amazing to hear a Portland State University president speaking in those terms, and I'm sure Ann Cudd will be at the football game on Saturday at Hillsborough Stadium. All right, uh, for Judah Newby and Stephen and all the interns, I want to thank the interns. I want to thank Gabby, and I want to thank Justin, Caleb. Thank you. Shout out to you. I see you raising your hand. Thank you uh, also to John down there, the other John. Uh, we call him Skinny John. Thank you, Skinny John. And uh, to intern Jeff as well. Uh, everybody have a great weekend. and We will be back next week. A lot to talk about. Read me over the weekend at johnconzano.com. We'll have full coverage from Salt Lake City of the Oregon-Utah game and from Tucson of the Oregon State-Arizona game. Uh, photo galleries, columns, all at johnconzano.com. Grab a free subscription. Grab a paid subscription. Whatever works for you works for me. You know what I'm going to say now. Have a great weekend, and the bald-faced truth is not here for a long time, just a good time.